Bring it in. Read option, back, full crew, loaded, NFL draft over, NBA playoffs in full swing. And there's a whole lot to talk about, including the Phil- the city of Philadelphia I, I, is at such odds and ends with one another. They just had to trade away Joel Embiid's face to actually get a good draft for once in their life. Uh, a lot's going on. I'm back from Philly, had to say goodbye to the family house this weekend, which was uh, an emotional journey, but we got the whole team together. Scott and I getting loaded up for uh, an exciting weekend. Coming up, we're going to the uh, Wells Fargo Championship, uh, TPC Potomac, which will be a ton of fun this weekend. So we'll give you a live report next Monday or Tuesday, yes. rather. From Stay uh, away, rain. <laughs> yes, we're praying right now. The weather's looking a little iffy. So uh, pray for us. We need, all, we need all the weather gods on our side. Scotty back for, or sorry, Vito back from California at a draft party. We're going to get the full lowdown of what it was like to be at a draft party in which uh, a guy actually got the call, got drafted, and is going to be a Philadelphia Eagle on top, as you can see from Scotty's hat and my shirt, uh, or Vito's hat. Man, I'm just fucking up names left and right. Uh, Boys, (laughs) how are we doing? Uh, Draft is over, but exciting and really interesting draft. I think one of the most compelling drafts we've had here, uh, probably in the last decade plus, uh, with a absolutely loaded undrafted free agency class as well because of the COVID backup. Uh, how's everybody? I'm excited to get in the ball today. No, I'm great, man. Uh, like you said, it was out in California, uh, in my old neighborhood um, with the Calcateras. And man, it was just good to see everybody and, and obviously celebrate a kid who's done so damn much and sacrificed so much for his dream. And to get that call was, it was one of the most special moments in my life and I wasn't drafted. You know what I mean? It was really a, a beautiful and euphoric feeling um, and just so happy for him and his family. And, and you know, uh, so incredible weekend. I was on planes a lot and now I'm back uh, back to reality. And, and uh, but man, just totally worth it. And uh, it was so fun, man. Love it. Love it. Scotty, I know you were you were a little disappointed with your Niners. However, you're not <laughs> you, you can't complain right now because the Warriors are up 1-0 in the second round of the NBA playoffs, which we'll get to some of that stuff in the back end of the pod here as well. So vintage <laughs> yeah. Steph Curry, you got a third splash, bro. I think has fully cemented himself that way. Sports in the Ooh, Valley, it, you know, it may not be exactly what you hope for, right? It's never, it's never always sunny. Um, but at least, uh, at least you got that franchise quarterback, you know, on the roster, hopefully still. So there's plenty of stuff to, to get excited about. Yeah. I, you know, the Niners just annoy the hell out of me. I, I don't know why. Uh, of course, I'm not as smart as uh, as John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. I don't know why we need 14 running backs, but uh, okay. Uh, let's go out and draft two more, I, I guess. I know why, uh, because they can never stay healthy. You, you lose three uh, of yeah, them a year. Because all we do is run the ball with Kyle. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jesus. So let's trade all all of our – oh, God. Oh, we'll get into it. Anyway. It's hard hard um, to complain with the track record the Niners have had over the last it's, couple of years. Uh, it's yeah, um, I guess. Uh, well, we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, anyway, I I spent most of drafts uh, Saturday uh, rounds four through seven just working outside, and I had the TV out there, and I I was uh, working out on the lawn and and drinking a few beers, and uh, I had the TV on loud. Thankfully, not the uh, my headphones on mowing the lawn or anything when I heard Grant's name called. Uh, so that was really fun for me because we were we all got a little stoked. 
Um, and yeah, I just, uh, just one of my, my favorite weekends is draft weekend, just to see, I think it goes underrated, uh, you know, throughout the first, maybe, uh, less so on the first day. Cause they talk about it a lot, but even the, the kids at the back end and, in, in uh, two and three on the, on the Friday and then, uh, four through seven on the Saturday, the reactions from them and the people around them to see their dream come true live is, is really cool. Um, every year and and it gets it never gets old oh for sure it's the draft is is a really it's and we said this at the end of the pod on on friday but just it's a truly unique sporting event and it's weird to even call it a sporting event because there is no games being played no yeah. one no one is winning and losing and we'll get to that when we talk when we kind of quote unquote grade out the draft because i'm not a fan of picking winners and losers I'm not a fan of giving, you know, A, B to different teams because we honestly have no idea, right? You know, how many, I mean, the, the Patriots probably would have gotten a C if we were doing that the year they drafted Tom Brady ends up being the greatest draft pick in NFL history. So, and I understand that's, you know, an extreme example, but nonetheless, it, we have to just appreciate it while it's here because the draft is so much fun. You get an opportunity to see your team start to build their future. Uh, and especially this year, because so much of the impetus wasn't on the quarterback position, an unusual year to say the least. Uh, one quarterback taken in the first two rounds of the NFL draft, and uh, and only then you add three there in the third round when multiple teams reportedly had first on grades on guys like Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, and we didn't see them go until the end of the day on Friday. So whole lot to get to, including the Eagles making, I think, the best pick. Uh, of the draft there in the third round and, uh, and and praying the medicals are as accurate as they say they will. Uh, some news and notes here before we get into the NFL draft. Um, and I will say one one last thing about my, my weekend too, because I did want to mention this. Um, I did say goodbye, as I said at the top, to my childhood house this weekend. Uh, super emotional weekend, was around my family the whole time, watched old home movies, watched slideshows from our high school graduations, drank a lot with the parents, um, went to our favorite restaurants one last time. Uh, it, it's it's a cool thing. And if you're lucky enough, now my parents owned that house for 27 years. Um, mm. And I Dang. knew nothing. I knew nothing else. Right. That was the house I grew up in. It was my my home. Right. And you always felt like even though I went to school in Virginia and I live in D.C. in Virginia and going around these different places, you still always felt like, oh, I have home base. Right. Like when you're a kid and you're playing, you know, tag or whatever. And oh, I'm at home base. Right. Like there is something to that as an adult in real life. And if you have that, if you're lucky enough to have that still, uh, and, and whenever you go home, you know, live your life. That's what my parents always told me to do. Go out. They would have beat me if, if I, you know, stayed home, you know, just for them, right. Just for that kind of thing. But when you do get home, take pictures, take the mental snapshots and, and appreciate it. Cause it was, it was really sad. It was, it was an awesome thing. My parents are starting a wonderful new chapter and I'm excited for them. Um, but it was a heavy emotional weekend because you have all these memories and it ended too. one of the last things I did before I left, my dad and I had a catch in the yard. We had an old nice. school father, son, you know, I, I swear I heard cats in the cradle going on in the background, right. You know, just having, having one last catch in the yard. Um, it, it's, it, it's a special thing, man. It really is. So uh, enjoy it while you have it and, uh, and appreciate it because uh, when it's gone, it's gone and you're on to your next stage in life and, and you can't just walk in the front door of that same place that you've had your whole life of memories. And it's a weird kind of dichotomy, but it's, it's 
something to, to think about too, as we all kind of enter. And most of our listeners, by the way, fall under this category of people our age who have parents moving on, parents retiring, doing different things. Um, and it's just a reminder, right? Appreciate all those moments while you got them. Um, all right. Let's talk some news and notes. Uh, right before we broke off, two pieces of NFL notes uh, or news broke. Um, DeAndre Hopkins suspended six games for the 2022 season for violating the substance and, uh, and drug policy there for performance enhancing drugs. Uh, already, D-Hop has been, I don't want to say on a decline because it, it feels like that catch against Buffalo happened I mean, it was the 2020 season, right? You know, the the Kyler Murray miracle throw. I forget. The Hail Murray. The Hail Murray. Thank you. Mm. Um, You know, they had that unbelievable play. And that whole year in 2020, he was still one of the best wide receivers. But I wonder, and it's got me thinking, like, in this new age of of wide receivers, how talented are we just saw it with the NFL draft. You know, that, that cliff, right, for wide receivers in particular, when you start to lose a step, I think that's a position we don't talk about the cliff as much, but it does seem to happen. You'll start to see guys bounce around teams at the end of their career. I think of like guys like Brandon Marshall, who AJ you know, Green even is opposite Green. Uh, opposite D Hop there in D-hop. Arizona. Um, and, and now this is obviously a bummer, but D Hop missed most of the season last year with an injury, and when he was on the field, he wasn't that productive. And all in all, it still feels like D Hop's a relatively young guy. So uh, is this kind of the beginning of the end for D Hop? I mean, he's he's owed. I believe it's 26 million this year, um, which, you know, is, is one of the top five pay, highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. Um, and, and look, things can turn around and bounce back. He's never necessarily been a, a pure burner, but for a dude who's been in the league now longer than you think, I think he's been in the league almost 10 years. Uh, this one was a little surprising and, and uh, it's a, it's a huge hit to an organization that I kind of feel is like borderline, like need to have a good season this year. Yeah, I think, uh, again, and they made the move to get um, Marquise Hollywood Brown. So it, it was a, it's a big blow because they're bringing him in from a number one spot to be a number two, right? Because they lost Christian Kirk. And it just now you're going to have to lean on him for the first six weeks of the season. And we all know if you get off to a bad start, it's a really hard thing to, to climb back from in the NFL, especially with a guy like Kyler, who usually plays his best games early, and to your point, he gets beat up and everything later in the season usually is where their losses happen. So um, I, I just think that this is a really hard test now for this offense. And to your point, a critical year for, um, for Kyler, especially after everything in the off season, like th- it's all on him now, really for the first six weeks and how this whole season starts. Yeah. And it's a, it's a year that Kyler needs to stay healthy too. I, for, for D hop. I, I don't know, man. I don't think it's the beginning of the end. Um, I think he, he has a legitimate uh, streak of, of talent left still in him and, Hey, you know, missing six games this year, uh, even though it was for performance enhancing drugs, which may or may not have been, and we don't know all the details yet, may have, have been something to offset the pain that he was going through. Uh, he was, he's been banged up over the last two years uh, himself. So uh, we'll see what that means, uh, you know, in terms of his overall health. But I, I don't think it's the beginning of the end. I think talent wise, he's still got plenty left in the tank. Uh, for for him to be a, a viable uh, number one wide receiver in the NFL for for another good few years here, I and and maybe it's just being pessimistic, but I'm just looking at a lot of the contemporaries, but guys who are just a few years older than D Hop, right? Julio Jones, yeah. When Julio Jones, yeah. you know, what did Tennessee trade for him? It was like a second and third round pick to get him from Atlanta to Tennessee and a pig, I think, yeah, right? yeah. 
Um, and he couldn't stay healthy. I, I think the health aspect of it is the, is the hardest thing. AJ Green was the same way. You mentioned him, Scott, right? Um, you think of guys like Ocho Cinco and T.O. and Brandon Marshall and these guys who towards the ends of their careers were bouncing around from, from team to team because everyone still holds out hope that he still has that they still have that value, but the production isn't there. And I think the biggest thing is on the field. So the one thing I just, um, Zach, Zach Paca just hit me up and told me uh, stats and research pulled it up. One surprising stat, DeAndre Hopkins got in the league young, which is why you think he's probably older than, than what he is. He is 29 years old. Mm-hmm. And so is Devonte Adams. Tyreek Hill is 28. Julio's a full f- four years older at 33, but injuries age players. That's what we've always heard, right? Like, so yeah. you're, to your point, injuries like this, and, and if it does come out that they are performance enhancing, then that changes the whole conversation because that probably means mentally he feels like he had to do that to get back to the edge, right? Or was it just to recover off the injury? There's a lot of reasons why players do that, but either way, there's some aspect of, Hey, I need to get back out there. And, and he viewed that he needed that to, to do it, or, you know, we'll see what all happens to your point. Um, maybe it has nothing to do with that, but what I do think matters is that he's getting to this point in his career where um, he's played a lot of snaps and he's already moved teams once in a blockbuster trade. Now let's see what happens here next. Yeah. I, I guess in my eyes, I just, I'm curious because we have seen for a long time guys who Again, these wide receivers who hit that point, whether it's injuries, whether it's age, they do start to bounce around. And then you look at the last three years of the draft and you look at all the guys that hit three years ago, all the guys that hit last year, and then all the guys who got drafted in the first round this year. It feels as though there's kind of two schools of thought when you look at wide receiver. They have the elite guys in the first first round, but then there's so much depth later on in the draft that it has started to become kind of running back-esque where the in terms of the depth, right? Like, oh, yeah. we don't need to – for other teams who need a wide receiver but don't want to draft one in the first round, you know, they're like, oh, we can still get like a Christian Watson from, you know, Green Bay going at pick 34. Um, you know, the John Mechies of the world, Tyquan Thornton, George Pickens, Alec, all these guys who we just saw get drafted on day two of the NFL draft. I mean, if you look just at, I think it's upwards of 20 plus wide receivers drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL or of the draft this past weekend, I feel like maybe the shelf life for guys who are established to maybe have a couple injuries is going to start to change. I don't think we're going to see, I mean, look at AJ Brown, AJ Brown's not, or sorry, um, Julio Jones, Julio Jones isn't signed right now. Right. right. You know, he, he got released from Tennessee and he's a free agent and someone's probably going to gamble on him because it's Julio Jones. But if you can get younger players at better value where you don't have to take the risk of injury and you can still get them for cheap deals or, or you can draft them and have them under control for four years, that might start to be where we see the NFL go with wide receivers. Because if the D hops and these guys are doing things, and again, we don't know all the details. This literally broke 30 minutes ago, right? Right before mm-hmm. we started, it could be, it could be a danger. Um, the other bit of uh, news that drew, that broke right before we started here was uh, Tyron Matthew finally finds a home. He's going home to Baton Rouge, New Orleans, uh, and uh, Louisiana. We're going to see him in a uh, in the Saints uniform. The Saints feel to me like they are loading up right now. Like they are, they believe that they can win right now, and their draft reflected that. And then going out and giving thirty three million dollar contract, eighteen million guaranteed for Tyron Matthew. 
They draft Chris Olave, they trade up to get him, and then they get Trevor Penning. They obviously took – they trade with the Eagles to get a second first-round pick. Two guys who should be immediate plug-and-play starters for them. One will re- help replace uh, Tyron Ar- uh, Ar- Ar- Armstead there. I, how how much do we believe in New Orleans? Now, Vito, I know you are like our resident Jameis Winston fan. I liked what I saw from Jameis uh, in year two in New Orleans his first time as a starter. But again, I'm not 100% sold on that. I think it's going to depend on, on how they operate on the offensive side. If Michael Thomas comes back and you have Olave, that's a whole different dynamic than what they had last year. Last year, he was very much conservative. And if you look at the numbers, wasn't pushing the ball down the field, which is where he excelled. That's why in Tampa, he threw for over 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns um, like in one season. It was incredible. I mean, 30 picks, I get yet. But, uh, you know, in general, you don't get that without the risk-reward factor. And it's a lot, uh, I would say, it's, it's easier to take shots downfield when you can trust in your guys to go make the plays. So I do agree with you that they drafted to support this offense and, and their first two picks. And hopefully we see that make this offense open up a little bit more, push the ball down the field and challenge them a bit. I do think to the previous conversation, a lot of this depends on how Michael Thomas comes back from his, his whole situation. So like, I, I think that has a huge effect on where the saints play this year, but they are, are they still in salary cap hell? I believe Right. They, they are relatively they're getting out of it. They're in purgatory, I think. Yeah. OK, <laughs> so look. Right. So they moved on from Malcolm Jenkins. Right. Malcolm Jenkins retires. That takes some salary off the books. The Toronto Armstead was a huge reason why they were in such uh, cap salary hell last year. Um, so some of the guys that left and or retired helps free some of that up for sure. Um, but the other thing, too, is that I'm almost of the of the belief now that. Like cap issues don't matter in the NFL. These guys are so good at, at understanding how, you know, how to, to manipulate the cap to work in their favor that I just don't think it affects them in the same way. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just I have my concerns. Right. Um, since 2020, 2020 was the last time Michael Thomas played. There's been two full seasons since Michael Thomas played. He played seven games in 2020. Uh, sorry. Seven games in the last two seasons, I, I should say. That's that's the accurate way of putting it. Um, but I don't know. I just I guess if Michael Thomas comes back and is good, you know, you have Alave there, you have the two guys, Teron, uh, Tracon Smith and Mar- uh, Marquez Calloway. So you have some other guys there, running back room. You know, Alvin Kamara right now is dealing with his legal stuff because we don't know what's yeah. going to happen with that. That's just starting to go to trial, I believe, this summer. Um, so I, they're making a push for it, which. They have two quarterbacks, which is what we said last week when we were talking about previewing the draft, why I didn't think they would go quarterback. It's because they had Andy Dalton, right? You don't go out and pay that money for a quality backup if you don't expect to be able to make a run because just carrying three quarterbacks is, is becoming more and more of a rarity these days in the NFL. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Tyron Matthew, if nothing else, it's cool that he's going home. Um, it, it's cool and- that he's going to get a chance to play for the Saints. And keep in mind, too, Dennis Allen's secondary guy. So to have mm-hmm. an anchor like Tyron Matthew there on the secondary, Dennis Allen, the new head coach of the New Orleans Saints, uh, that's going to be a huge help uh, for, for them because that, that is a young secondary right now. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to need all the help they can get. Well, they still have the the cornerback, right, from uh, Ohio State from a couple of years ago. Lattimore. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Latt- Marshawn Lattimore, who is one of the top five arguably cornerbacks in the NFL. So you, you have a top-tier guy there, and now you're going to help solidify the back end of it. I know I was bummed as an Eagles fan because I was really hoping the Eagles were going to be pulling off you know something for, for Tyron Matthew, but 
that didn't work both. out and um <laughs> and, and we'll we'll see where it goes uh from there all right let's move and turn our attention to the nfl draft and we have to start off because you, you touched on a little bit in the open i need the full play-by-play here Vito, of what it was like to be there at a draft party right because that's a pretty rare experience that most people don't get an opportunity to do now grant was not a first second round pick he wasn't a day one guy ends up going in the sixth round of the eagles um but what is that experience like the anticipation of you're sitting there somebody you care about everyone there is all focusing on the phone but no one can really talk about it because talking about it's only going to make it worse walk us through what that experience was like as a friend but also just as a fan someone who loves football like you do to just observe all of that from, you know, up close and personal kind of seat. Yeah. Well, I think to, to so to lay the, I guess, groundwork to, to paint the background of, of what was happening is I went out there and um, the whole family came back home. So there's Nick, my best friend, uh, Nick Alcatera, his triplet siblings, Grant being one of them, Claire and Andrew all came back home and his parents were there. Um, Grant's girlfriend, Sophie, uh, but we were all able to get together and, uh, and we were together Friday night. I was there watching the draft a little bit, which was just fun because again, like go back a decade, I was watching the draft with this family, right? Two decades, I was watching the draft with this family. So it was fun to just be around them. And, and that was cool on Friday because again, the projection was probably a Saturday pick. Then Saturday comes around and it's in the morning, right? Starts at 9 a.m. We're on the West Coast. So uh, 12 Eastern and have some breakfast, kind of anxious, but then right away on ESPN, Lewis Riddick has five people that he said, watch out for in day, day three. And Grant was like the third person on that list, which was awesome. And he was talking about the upside and how, how crazy the upside is there. And Lewis Riddick is a guy who I really respect. So um, unlike Booger, like I'm not a fan of Booger, but I love Lewis. And so it was cool to, to have that, but as we're getting closer, right. And some tight ends come off the board, a lot went off in round four and it's a little nerve wracking, right? Because like, personally, I just know Grant's better than them. Right. But we're not like, we're not trying to, have any negativity in the room. We're not all like, Oh, screw that guy. That's not going on. It's, it's kind of quietly. Like, oh, okay. Another tight end. That's almost, it was like, that's good because there's less on the board now. And like, there's more, right. The, like if someone does want one, then you're, you're the guy. Then, then it started getting later and later. And like the Ravens took a second tight end and, and um, then all in, I believe in the fifth round or uh, maybe the fourth, but um, right. They took a second tight end, some other tight ends going off the board and, and it did get a little, I would say quiet in the room, right? We're getting nervous. We know it's around now or, and it's in the sixth round. So maybe it's now or never um, in the fourth round. Thanks God. That's where the Baltimore took the two tight end, the second tight end. But then um, a couple of players went and, and to be honest, it was, you know, uh, it was a little nerve wracking. You're in the room, but like you said, you want to be positive. It got real quiet. Um, and then all of a sudden uh, Grant got a call um, and he was taking some calls for the day, you know, just from, Asian, all, all this other stuff, but he gets the call and it's kind of quiet. He just like picks it up and puts his head down. Right. And he's just like, all we hear him say is 13 or 14, 14. And I'm like, okay, that's how many tight ends have been drafted. Cause we've been, you know, keeping track. And then all of a sudden he says, yes, sir. I promise I'll make you a better team. We were like, no fucking way. Like instantly everyone started crying and the emotion in the room went from like this, anxious tension of like, just please, please God for like Grant's sake, let him get this call today anywhere, you know, and he gets the call um, and he's talking to them for a while. Right. And we're all like, I mean, everyone's crying. M- my job being uh, 
a, you know, non-direct family member, I was going to video this. And I, I, like, I knew that was kind of my job. So then I get up and, and start videoing like them all around the couch. And, um, and at one point, like there are a couple of picks coming up. And at this point we didn't know who picked them. Right. And if you actually go back now on Eagles, I think on their Twitter, they have the, um, the sound clip and a video of Howie from his side and you can hear him and they have Grant's audio in it too. And it's really great. Cause, um, it was sliced up a little bit, but it, it was like how he asked him, like, how many tight ends have been drafted today? And he's like 13 or no, it's 14. And he's like, how would you like to be the 15th? And he was like, are you fucking kidding me? And he was like, yeah, like, welcome to, you know, and he's like, we're going to take you with our next pick here. Like, welcome the Eagles. And, and Grant had the, his opening line to him was like, I'm going to make this team better. I promise you. Like, and just, that was his wow. first statement to them. And, and just uh, from that point on, it was absolute fucking chaos. Cause Again, I, I it was it was very um, tension ridden. The anxiety was through the roof. But then when it happened, it was one of the most euphoric, beautiful feelings I've ever felt. And it wasn't me getting the call. Um, it That's was great. It was just you're so happy for this kid who sacrificed so much and worked so hard, and his whole family, and just the support they have for him, and uh, how great of like and Grant's a great human, which is like you just hope it happens to a guy like that, and. I'm just so happy that he he ended up getting the call, getting drafted. Then immediately chaos broke out. I was telling you guys that we ran to go get all the Eagles gear from a California store, which was a limited selection, uh, as you can imagine. <laughs> but um, we get back. He does some Cleveland media stuff. And, and for me, like, you're just happy he gets drafted. Then it sunk in like, dude, he's coming to my city. He's coming to Philly. Like, this is going to be so fun. Yeah. Like, uh, I can't wait to see him. The whole family's going to be out there a lot uh, and stuff. And, and now, but, you know, his whole thing, obviously, is like, he gets picked and, and he's like, all right, like, this is fun. We celebrated. Don't get me wrong. But he was just like, he said at one point, like um, after it settled, he's like, you know, I still got to go play football. Like in his mind, it's like, Hey, I got drafted, but like, I still got to go. I'm yeah, going to make the team. Shit. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and just like work his ass off and, and obviously deliver on that promise to make the team better. So it was um, an experience I will never forget. I'm very wow. thankful to, you know, be close to a great family and a great person like Grant, um, as talented as he is, you know, humble and, and good. And um, it's just going to be a really fun career to follow. And obviously a friend yeah. of the read option. So um, I'll have yeah. to get him on here soon. And, and uh, it's life's a little chaotic sure. right now. So once it settles a bit, we'll, we'll hook it up and, and get him on here. We have, we For have a sure. soft, we have a soft tentative. Yes. Or maybe, maybe we'll call it a maybe we have, <laughs> we have a maybe uh, with Grant, but the Calcateras have been supporters of, of the podcast. I, that, that story's on. It's unbelievable, man. It's I mean, great, I've, man. A firsthand account to, to be there and witness that because that goes just to what Scotty was talking about, right? Like it, to start off the show, like why, why this stupid night is as big as this, why they can shut down part of the strip in Las Vegas, <laughs> why they can, sh you know, shut down Ben Franklin bowl, you know, Ben Franklin way high. I forget what it's called uh, in Philly. Right. You know, like why they can shut down Philly major guy. cities. It, it, it's, shut up. <laughs> and uh, and put on this event where people do it. and it's because lives do get changed, man. And and yeah. anyone who competed in a sport, even tried to play in college and, and never ended up. But you did the recruiting circuits. You went through that. The sacrifices your family makes to get you there. Right. And for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us, you never get even close to a moment like this. And for him and his story to leave football and then to come back to do the extra year at SMU and to get up, to get involved with a great organization, you know, a, yeah. an organization well, that has the string of tight ends and the, you know, the history of tight ends 
with this team is is strong going all the way back to Mike Dicka used to play for yeah. the Eagles, right? You know, I so do think I do. It's no, special. I, no, I was just going to add in. I, I was like, I do think what is so special about this, and I I don't think I understood the gravity of it, and I knew I knew it happened, but being there, one thing that I think is a hard thing to translate is it's not just what team he's going to, right? You don't know. Imagine this. Imagine you're graduating college and you have your profession, right? For me, it was architectural engineering and imagine, um, you know, whether it's broadcast or, or anything, imagine you graduate and you wait for a day to come. And not only do you get a call for what company you're going to work for, but it also determines where you're going to live. Like he didn't know what city he was going to yeah. until that call came through and, and where he would be living in the whole country. And it could be Detroit. It could be, you know, uh, Cincinnati could have been Jacksonville. anything yeah and, and so to, to end up again in uh you know the one out of 30 I guess I live in two but uh one of the, the cities I live in too uh and 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 like that there's an NFL team there and that he already has some a foundational support and and there's some other connections there too with him but it was just cool to talk to him about that because as we were going through the process it was like you know, what about this? Oh, well, that's a cool place to live. Or like, oh, maybe that doesn't really fit my style. And so it's just interesting that like that happens to a kid. He's a kid before his yeah. first job. He's being told where to move and where to go. And that kind of happened to me when I joined my company. They said, hey, you're going to North Carolina, which wasn't my first pick, uh, so to say. But it, it's just a really interesting dynamic that I think when you see the emotion, obviously it's about football and being drafted in the dream. But a lot of it can also be, Oh my God, that's the organization I'm joining. And you know, that's the city I'm moving to. And there's so much, it's not just one thought it's one, two, three, four, five, six things all being decided in a matter of one phone call. Yeah. Talking about Grant Calcaterra, sixth round draft pick for the Philadelphia Eagles, 198th overall tight end out of Southern Methodist university. Vito, can you walk me through uh, a, are you excited that he's coming to your city? uh, One of the two that you live in and B, uh, how do you think he fits for the Philadelphia Eagles? And I think Jeff, you can you can uh, jump in on that question too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm more than excited. Just for me too, it's it's again, this is a great family, and I can't say that enough. And I'm just excited that like I listen, I go on trips with them. We always go to music, like a concert or a festival every year together. Me and all the kids, and like um, you know, Nick's my best friend. We fly back and forth across the country to see each other, and I, I'm just so excited that now. You know, I've gone to a couple games, whether it be an SMU game, Oklahoma games, like whatever it is. Um, but now I'm just excited. Like, hell, they're in my backyard. And I like they can crash on my couch, his siblings. And like, it's just going to be a fun ass time. Um, show him around Philly. I think he's really going to fit in and like it more that like than he even knows. Right. Um, yeah. And what's going to be awesome is I, I think it's a great fit because it, one of the, the analysis I read was like behind Goddard, which, by the way, Goddard. Grant worked out with Goddard all summer long in California. They're rep one. They, they train right. with the same people. So yeah, he, he yeah. knows Goddard. Like they, they train together. So that's awesome. Um, connection already, but Jeff, you jump in on this. Cause you were explaining to me the position differences and, and how they run it. But behind Goddard, there's really not a, a second great receiving tight end that the Eagles have. And they use so many multiple tight end sets. So yeah. what, what is this position difference that, that happened here recently? Well, so I, it's a great, I think it's a fantastic pick. Uh, ultimately, 
again, if he doesn't retire, if he stays in Oklahoma for four years, I think he ends up probably being a, a day two pick, maybe an early day three pick, right? Uh, I think that third round is probably where we would have seen him in this class. Uh, the reason I'm a big fan of it, and I look forward to, again, getting a chance to talk to Grant about this and how he sees himself fitting here at some point, um, you know, over the next couple months once he does get settled. Uh, and we're going to do a whole Philly training with him. We're going to get him ready for the Philly fans because it's it's a different breed. But I have a feeling he's going to ingratiate himself well. And, and I already know that Philly fans, when they heard that he came back to football because of how much he missed football, that that already sold a lot of Eagles fans on this. So uh, already I think he's off to a great start. But from a position standpoint, you know, they run two different tight ends in this offense, right? You have your wide tight end who's going to be in line a lot of times, and then you're going to split him off a little bit, right? Your wide tight end, you're going to have him run blocking, which we see a lot of Dallas Goddard doing. You're going to have him running play action out of that set a lot, and that's basically your tight end one, right? That's the guy who's your main guy. We saw Ertz do it for years, and then they slowly started to kind of get Goddard in there until they traded Ertz away. But then they also dabble in this F tight end, which is sometimes you'll have him at the line, but for the most part, they want to be able to spread him out a little bit. And Sirianni did this a bunch when he was in Indianapolis as well. So you're going to have him playing out of the slot, and that's basically going to be your receiving tight end for nothing else, right? You can think of your Mike Gesicki's in, in that kind of a, a life. He's going to do some downfield blocking which at his size and his speed and everything else, he should be able to take on a nickel cornerback downfield blocking pretty comfortably. Oh, yeah. I think he's going to do great at that. Uh, but right now, if you look at the Eagles roster, I mean, they just moved JJ all down to tight end. They converted him to basically be this. So his competition, Grant's competition is going to be JJ, you know, and then you have your kind of Jack Stoll, Tyree Jackson, who was the converted quarterback uh, from Buffalo, who they converted him to tight end, who's a great athlete, but had a couple of freak injuries last year. Um, I believe the last one ended up being an ACL tear too. So uh, the tight end two position on the Eagles, which sometimes will be at that F tight end, sometimes will be at that wide tight end. Um, it, it's a great spot for him. It, it's a perfect fit. It's a great compliment. And then you look at the other weapons that are on this offense, you know, He's going to be a goal line guy. He's going to be a guy who comes in, uh, but he's going to get open looks. He's going to get favorable matchups. And I think, again, when you turn on his college tape at Oklahoma, he was the heir apparent to Mark Andrews, right? Like he was the guy that came in after Mark Andrews and Baker went on to the NFL and he went in with Kyler and, and worked with those guys. Hands, bro. Hands. He can catch the ball as well as any of the tight ends in this class. And I think for what Philly's going to ask him to do, I think he works out really well. He's going to be probably a special teamer on like your punt units too. Um, I, I don't see him on kickoff or kick return, get maybe kick return, but given his concussion history, I think that could also be something that could be somewhat dangerous, but he was cleared by the NFL. He was cleared by a, every NFL team cleared him. Some teams were a little scared, more scared off from it. And I understand that, but this is what the Eagles do. They find value in these late picks. Look at the guys the Eagles have drafted later on. And I believed in Grant that he was going to be a great NFL player. He has the absolute opportunity to be great. And I think the Eagles are a fantastic spot for him. So I, I know I texted you guys because I was I had just turned on the draft on Saturday. I did I drove two hours to the Jersey Shore to help my parents move shit down, drove two hours back, flipped on the draft, and the Eagles were next in line. And then that was the Grant Calcaterra pick. And I I lost my mind. I, That's I great. Know, the, the entirety of the Eagles draft was spectacular. Um, and to have it end with Grant, I mean, that is the epitome of the cherry on top of the Sunday 
that was the Philadelphia Eagles uh, draft. So I'm, I'm excited. And the fact that we're going to have a, the first active NFL player we're going to have on this podcast is a Philadelphia Eagle, I think is incredibly fitting. <laughs> I there think it's is. incredibly yeah. fitting. So, and maybe, <laughs> maybe if they're listening too, we can maybe twist his arm. We can do a sit down. Scotty and I'll drive up to Philly, and we'll do a sit down, real in person interview with uh, with Grant. Because I think that would be in a the ton studio, of fun. man. Yeah, we'll have to hit that up. The uh, no, I, I do, I do agree. And the, the last thing I'll, I'll mention about um, him as a player, uh, then the day um, first, him as a player. You're right. You watched that tape. It was wild to see how incredibly gifted he was compared to the players he was drafted around. And it's because of the medical um, retirement and coming back. When you watch him have multiple one hand catches in the big 12 in like literally the big 12 championship game, you know, one hand catch to win the game over Texas. Like there are incredible moments, by the way, no Texas player was drafted this year. Pretty incredible. Really? Isn't that wild? Yeah. And they've had two or three top five recruiting classes in the last four years. Yeah. Wild. Wow. But, um, uh, there were some, you know, uh, let's just say there's a lot of Oklahoma ties in the house still. So we were, uh, noticing that, but, um, uh, that's right. Horn down. They, uh, I, they, I have, they, obligatory. I have to do the horns down now. Oh yeah. For Grant. Um, so then, then just for the day itself, what was really great again is that, uh, and, and I'll just say this, like right after the draft happens, right. We're all just huge group hug. We're all just like kind of really like just amazing feeling, and instantly it was just like, all right, we're going to party. Like instantly it turned into like <laughs> an, an incredible party that started at like you know, 1 p.m. And went very late. And then we had a DD drive us to In-N-Out. Um, we had uh, the beautiful Tudo Fresco boy. place that is amazing in Southern California's Italian spot. And we we just had an incredible night with incredible people, friends um, of the family and, and, and his friends. And it was just a really great time. Um, and, and I will say that like, uh, the one thing that we all need to cherish, I think is that there are days like this that come around where you get to celebrate some individual for something special in your family, right? Whether it be a birthday, maybe, or something special in their career, whatever it is. And this comes around, you know, sometimes more often for some than others, but it was a great moment to see how much, um, Grant shared this with his family almost, you know, and, uh, I just think that if you have a guy like that in your locker room and a guy like that on your team, you're getting a real teammate. And it was, you know, what he said to his family and, and private things, but just, it, he's just the right guy, you know? And, yeah. and I, I think it's a lesson for us all of like, no matter how successful you are in your individual things or, or other people are in your family, like you guys all share in that together and the good and the bad. And it was a good uh, family weekend, you could say. So yeah. um, just really, really awesome time and Beautiful. very proud I was able to go. Beautifully said, Vita. I'm happy you were out there. And, uh, and you know, we used to do this segment on the on the radio uh, where we, because it started off from a tweet that went viral a few years ago, but we ranked the best beers and not like types of beers, but like the beach beer, right? The post mowing the lawn beer, right? I'd have uh, to imagine that during not, mowing the lawn there beer. are very <laughs> few beers that taste as good as the I just got drafted into the fucking NFL beer. That beer <laughs> is at the top of the list. And I'll tell you what Grant drank because it was a pretty awesome beer. It was this sour beer that wasn't too sour from Arrowhead Brewing Company out of Southern California. And it was a, a crowler. It was a can growler. So it was oh, like yeah. a giant, so the big like 32 the, ounce. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an incredible beer. But he was like, I'm saving this for when I get drafted. And Grant's a pretty big dude. But he opened that up and drank that. And he was just like, 
like because there wasn't much eating going on before he got drafted, but you could tell it hits, it hits you pretty quick. He was just like, oh, there we go. Yeah, like I'm ready to have fun. That's now. amazing. It Feeling awesome. it. That's amazing. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We will come back on the other side. We're going to break down the our reactions from the rest of the NFL draft. Shout out to the Calcateras and the Grant uh and Grant too, man. Yes. That's just unbelievable Congrats. story. Um, uh, so we got NFL draft recap recap and a little bit of nba talk as we uh, continue here on the pod all right so the second and third rounds we had friday rounds four through seven were on saturday of the nfl draft um and there's a bunch of different directions we can go here and we're going to hit on some different things we're going to talk about some of our favorite late round picks we're going to talk about uh, some other stuff but i think at least of friday in particular the two things that stood out to most people were the quarterbacks not getting drafted um in the second round no quarterback draft in the second round and then we had three go off the board in the third round uh those being uh well we had Malik Willis Matt Kraut, and Desmond Ritter with Malik Willis being the last of those three yeah to get off the figure board, that one out which um absolute steal really surprising it, it was a really surprising uh move to see I mean there's a ton of talent that obviously is there sorry uh Macaral went after uh Malik Willis but they were all teams mm. that we thought we might see him go in the first round too, right? Desmond Ritter goes to Atlanta. Malik Willis goes to Tennessee. Matt Corral goes to Carolina. So they all ended up in the same place. It's weird with this draft. And this is kind of, I feel like has been one of the overriding sediments is like, it didn't feel like any teams did anything really dumb. Like the, the team that got the most shit was uh, uh, New England drafting the guard uh, from the FCS, uh, Curtis Strange or whatever, something strange. Um, it was a strange pick. Beat you, Scotty. I knew I knew that was about to come out of your mouth. Uh, it was a strange bit. Um, but, you know, they did the same thing with uh, Logan Mankins years ago, too, and everyone had the same reaction then. So if it ends up being Logan Mankins, then, you know, what the hell do we know? They um, they also did it with a guy named Tom Brady. But I, So I, I know we don't love, uh, you know, grading people, but I was reading some of them, right, like we all do uh, after the draft. And I love it. They were like worst first-round picks, right? And, and it was like Indy. It was like, they didn't have a first round pick, but they traded it for Wentz, which is fucking stupid. And like, that was the reasoning for, but you're right. Outside <laughs> of like stuff like that, there I feel like um, teams drafted players that fit or they needed improvement and they got the best available. Now, given, you know, we will be half wrong about all of this, right? Yes. At, at best. Um, but I, I agree. I, I think far. that there weren't <laughs> a bunch of giant question marks of, why were teams doing this where the Browns of like the mid 2010s were always like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, um, the, the Raiders just basically picking the guy with the fastest 40 time every year out of the draft like that, those days are kind of gone and, and seeing how I feel like um, maybe just conventional wisdom or analysis is really bleeding into, to a lot of these locker rooms to your point. It wasn't like, Oh, that team just did awful for seven rounds straight. Right. Well, so this is what I actually want to talk about because it bleeds into the other thing from the from Friday's, you know, rounds two and three from the Friday day of the draft. Teams, we, we often put up like front offices. Simultaneously, we will destroy front offices without understanding what's actually going on and also put them up on this pedestal. Like they're so smart. They, they're, they're, they understand things we don't understand. 
But a lot of times they fall under the same like human nature stuff that we do. Right. And I think there was so much talk about in, in this draft being, oh, this is Christian Ponder's draft 2.0. This is 2013 all over again. This is the Blake Bortles draft with Johnny Menzel in 2013. Right. Like there was so much or 2014, whatever year that was. But there was so much talk about that stuff that I think it scared teams off. Nobody wanted to be the Buffalo Bills taking my guy, EJ Manuel. I love EJ, but like no one wanted to be remembered as that team. And I think it's a domino effect. When one team feels it, then other teams start to feel it. And you can apply the same logic to N'Kobe Dean. N'Kobe yeah. Dean falling to the third round is lunacy. And that's the I other thing I want to talk about here because that's the other main story. I mean, talent-wise, he was the best player on one of the best defenses in the history of college football. And he fell to the third round because he was a little undersized. And even though the NFL sent out a league-wide memo clearing N'Kobe Dean for immediate play, all of these teams started getting scared off. And it was like, all right, well, he fell to the second round because – you know, the measurables, right? That was anticipated. Before we heard anything about the, you know, the, the pack injury with N'Kobe Dean, he was going to probably be a day two pick. And then, so he falls out of the first round. So already that slide starts. And then it's, all right, well, now the rumblings of this pec injury goes. And it's, well, okay, well, one team passed on it. And then it's five teams pass on it. And it's 10 teams. The next thing you know, a whole round has gone by because all these front offices sit there and go, well, what do they, what do they know that we don't know? And, right. and they have their own medical teams, but there is still this thought of, well, what do they know that we don't know? And that's the hyper-competitive nature that I think just comes out in humans when you get put in a setting like this. Exactly. It's, if you watch the movie Draft Day, they do a great – no, <laughs> but they do. It's, it's a major theme of, like, anytime something happens with another team, the next team that's picking is like, whoa, whoa, whoa what did you find out that we don't know? You know what I mean? And I think uh, – and, Jeff, we had, we had um, together with Zach Parker looked this up earlier. How many um, – how many linebackers were picked above N'Kobe Dean? Because it's not just people stayed away from linebackers. That's one story, right? But I believe, what was the number? 12? There, were si there were six inside linebackers and six outside linebackers. So 12. Now, take outside linebacker with a grain of salt right. because a lot of them are just going to be pure edge guys. Like technically, technically, Hassan Reddick is an outside linebacker, but he's going to just be pass, you know, being a pass rusher for the Eagles. Um, but if you look at the linebacker position where they're listed, technically 12 went and six inside linebackers went ahead in the Kobe D, which I'm sorry, there's not six guys. <laughs> he, there's not six inside linebackers that are better, better than the Kobe Dean. And Howie Roseman even said in the press conference, he was like, if from the time we drafted our second round pick, which was a center, which I texted you guys, just absolutely throwing higher Roseman under the bus. What a fucking idiot. How can Nicobe Dean fell to you in the second round? How are you not going to take him there? Right. And look, Cam Jor Jorgens is, looks like he's going to be a great player and Jason Kelsey hand selected him. But in that one round gap, it was about an hour. How Roseman said he called his medical team five times to be like, are you sure? Are you positive? There's not anything more. And they're like, yeah, no, there's not. And that is honestly a credit to Howie Roseman because there, if there's one thing on draft night that front offices lack the most of, it's trust, right? Because ultimately, the, the medical staff isn't going to get crushed for N'Kobe Dean being a bad pick. Howie right. Roseman's going to get crushed, right? So at some point, you have to just trust your team. You have to trust the people that you hired to do their jobs. And if they're telling you that he is clear, he is good to go, then you have to say, all right, fine, I'm going to trust him because the talent – is undeniable. The tape does not lie when it comes to Kobe Dean. So for the fact that the Eagles 
got a good interior offensive lineman, Jason Kelsey's most likely, you know, replacement. The fact that Kelsey's also even willing to train his replacement like that speaks volumes of him as a person and what he care, how much he cares about this organization. But I, it's, it's unbelievable, man. The slide of him and the quarterbacks, I think this is all just front offices being no different than you and I, right? Because we can sit here and say, oh, Malik Willis is a first-round talent all we want. But our Duh. names, our credibility isn't getting dinged any more than somebody who listens to the podcast is going to think, yeah. right? Yeah, but I mean, when you hear it on on platforms like ESPN and NFL Network, it's a whole lot different, especially three, four weeks out when we're hyping it up and hyping it up and hyping it up after the after the combine. The Nicobe thing, uh, Nicobe Dean thing, to me is absolutely nuts. Like I, I, measurables, I, I, and it sounds cliche. Just throw all that out the window. Like, look at the tape and look at the guy who's playing and, and realize that he was on, A, an excellent defense, uh, an excellent defensive unit, and B, he was the leader of that defensive unit. So I don't understand why you would you would put any other other stock into that. Take the best well, guy available. Thing, and- yeah, my favorite thing about it is they're like, well, he, he was just, you know, um, he's behind Jordan Davis. I was like, well, guess what? He's still behind Jordan Davis now. Well, he's wearing the green dot. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Say, yeah. I was just going to say that, Vito, right? Like, yeah, that, like, and that's one of the things that the Eagles were in a unique spot to say because now they have three studs to play defensive tackle between Jordan yeah, Davis, Javon Hargrave, and Fletcher Cox. So yeah. the one knock against him was, oh, well, he was playing behind these unbelievable – between Wyatt and him He was uh, and Jordan Davis. N'Kobe Dean was playing behind these guys, and it made it easier for him. The one thing that I think I call bullshit on that is that has no effect on a player's first step, right? It might, it might make him more confident, right? That if he's wrong, he can change. But the first step is the first step when you're a linebacker, that is the most important trait. If your first step is there and you're faster than everybody else and you're reading plays and you, and and not just, by the way, we're not just talking about like he's playing, you know, group of five. We're talking about some of the best offenses in college football, his first step against Alabama, like the dude jumps off the tape for one of the best defenses in the NFL. And the two guys who got talked about the most on that defense all year are now both Philadelphia Eagles. And you got him in the third round at pick 89. There yeah. are not, there's not 30 players better than the Kobe well, Dean in this draft. And, and what's wild is that all three of our teams passed on him in the second, all three of our teams had a chance to draft him in the third and veto I, I came first and we didn't draft him and you came next and we didn't draft him. And then oh. he fell right to right into Jeff's lap. Uh, well, oh, this, is, this is a thing like, and I'll use, I have two examples for this, right? The Eagles drafted Sidney Jones in the second round. I think it was the 2017 draft, right? Sidney Jones was going to be a top 10 pick at cornerback out of Washington tore his Achilles at his pro day, very similar to David Ajabo, right? So his draft status fell. He ended up being a second-round pick to Philadelphia, just like David Ajabo ended up being a second-round pick to the Baltimore Ravens. There is a risk-reward where you're saying, all right, he may not play this year, but we also drafted Jason Owe last year, if you're Baltimore, who ended up being a great pick. And we also have good pass They played high school team. together. So yeah. they played opposite each other in high school. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, great call. Um, right? So you're, you're talking about, like, all right, so we're okay at pass rusher for this season – but we're going to take a gamble on the, on the talent. Our medical staff feels like, all right, he's going to recover. He's not going to have to play for a year and a half. Maybe if he's really fast, like, you know, Cam Akers fast, we'll get him for a playoff run. But the pressure's not on him. Same thing happened with Sidney Jones. Well, Sidney Jones ended up not being what we all thought he was going to be, right? And, and that is unfortunate, and, and that sucks. 
But if I was Howie Roseman, I'm still doing that pick again because of the risk reward where you're saying at that time, Philly didn't need a start plug and play starting cornerback. And you're getting this value in the second round. You're going to help rehab and you're going to get him there. I would do that same pick 10 times out of 10, you know, and, and, and then you look at a guy like Ojabo. I think that is one of the biggest steals of the draft for Baltimore. I mean, the embarrassment of riches that they're going to have next year and, and granted it'll probably be 2023, but of young pass rushers who could play at a potential elite level is huge. And then I look at Nicobe Dean and I go, this is an even lower risk reward, right? If it's a pec tear, yeah, he's probably out for the year. But if it's a pec strain, which the NFL, again, league-wide memo to all 32 teams cleared him of a pec tear and said he would be able to play right away. And he himself said it was a pec tear. And you talked about, and I don't know if you guys caught any of this, but in his press conference with the Philadelphia media, he was visibly upset, you know, and talking about, I don't understand why there were all these lies and rumors spread about me. My mom spent half the night crying on Saturday because she didn't understand why all these people were just making stuff up. And I think ultimately that is the cold hearted business side of the NFL where, 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 you know, I understand it from the team perspective, if there is a risk and all these other teams are passing on them, do we feel confident enough to do that? But I commend the Eagles in saying, fuck it. You know what? If, if it's a strain, we still have, what, five months before the start of the season? We still have another four, four months before camp starts or three and a Even half months before camp starts and it's a pec strain and he's feeling good. And, you know, and, it, and this is the other thing. It lit a fire under that dude. Like he said, oh, he, sure. he's, he said as much. He's like, I, he's like, yeah, this cost me. You money. don't want to get behind. You don't want to get behind an angry linebacker no. like that. I'll tell he, you what. He well, said, and like, not to mention money, dude. Like, his bank account is fucked from this. Well, the other thing is what, what I don't understand is let's say he's even out for the year. Ojabo is going to be out for most of the year. I still think I would have him over Ojabo, like I, in different positions, again, the edge side and, and really Ojabo is an edge rusher, but still in the same, you know, uh, I guess when you have to look at a player who's going to be out for the full year, we had the Lions trade up to get a receiver who's probably going to be out for most of this year, right? Or at least the first six weeks at minimum. And, and well, I didn't say minimum, but they're probably going to end up on the pup list so he can come back after week six. But when you look at these teams and how they have to evaluate this talent, I just don't understand, even if he was out for a full year, how he could drop that far. So props to you guys. I, I think the Friday draft, again, was the story of quarterbacks falling and N'Kobe Dean falling. Um, and uh, the, the note that um, I, I had for day three, if it's okay to jump there real quick, is – sure. Um, in the fourth round, again, that's where we saw some strange things start happening. We had a first kicker taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had the Browns take Cade York out of LSU. I mean, great great kicker, um, made a lot of fifty plus yarders. And then we had two punters go, and they weren't uh, Jordan Stout and and uh, Jay Camrata. They're great. Everyone lo- fell in love with Matt. Um, I'm gonna mess up his name. I want to say Arazia Arazia. every time. Thank you, Arazia, Arazia. Sorry. Arazia, yeah. And then uh, San Diego, he's out of San Diego State. He's a guy who just had an absolute bomb. Like, he would kick from his own goal line, and it would – you just constantly see the defenders turning – the returners turning their back and running backwards because it would land on, like, the 20. He could punt it 80 yards in the air. He and set the FBS single-season record with 51.2 yards per punt. He had 40 punts down downed inside the 20-yard line, which was the most in the FBS. Uh, and he also had six six tackles. Not he's a, he's a good athlete. Oh like, yeah. He sprints down the field. He was awesome. So anyway, to see all of that happen 
and at that point, I just want to point this out towards the end of the fourth round, we had three kickers taken and four quarterbacks taken. Now that I can, I will put, I'll put my mortgage on the fact that that has not happened in the last 20 years. And I'd argue that probably hasn't happened since the common draft era, since, since the merger, but like, I, I don't know what's going on with that, but the, the, the fact that teams literally valued, you know, some of those positions, I wouldn't say more than quarterbacks. Obviously that's not the case, but just the fact that we didn't see the run at quarterbacks, we saw a few there in, in the third round, but there wasn't this run on quarterbacks like we're used to seeing. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. I think to me, that was so surprising to see place kickers and, and kicking specialists start to go while we still had, you know, Sim Howell on the board. Well, by the end, by the end of the third round, there were eight offensive guards taken and four quarterbacks. That's yeah. It, that's it's wild to me. And I still believe like Sam Howell to me as the first pick in the fifth round is such a steal for Washington. Oh, like, yeah. I, and I know like I've said multiple times over the past few weeks leading up to the draft that like, I am actually a pretty firm believer in Sam Howell. And I think that this is a year where we could see, like the year Jimmy G got drafted, it was almost like reverse. Like the players who got drafted, the quarterbacks who got drafted later in the rounds did better as they worked their way up to, I think it was Blake Bortles who went number three overall. And it was like almost like a perfect flip-flop, right? It was like Bortles and then Johnny Manziel. And then it was Derek Carr and Jimmy G and a couple. And like there was one other quarterback drafted in that class too. But to, to me, like that, that makes it – I think there's a couple things that – bled into it. I think next year's class, the depth at quarterback as well as the high-end talent is is much better, right? Oh, yeah. But Malik Willis going to in the third round is insane to me. It, it's it's just it's insane to me. And I think Tennessee getting pieces that they needed, finding a replacement for AJ Brown, not having to pay him and then you still end up with Malik Willis in the third round. Like the the Titans are one of the sneaky teams I think had one of the best drafts out of any other team because they're setting themselves up long-term while also getting themselves an immediate replacement for a, a very, very high quality player in AJ Brown. Um, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what that move says. Same thing with Atlanta. Atlanta goes out and gets Drake London, who they believe was the best wide receiver in the draft, right? They go out and they get uh, Arnold, I think Ibakite, I think they, they mm -hmm. also took, right? Uh, he's in Atlanta. And then, oh yeah, in our third round, we're going to take a guy who, again, multiple teams had first round grades on Desmond Ritter. And, yeah, and I love I really Desmond Ritter. Ritter. And you know, his, yep. the most common comp for him was Marcus Mariota. So Marcus Mariota is going to be the starting quarterback for Atlanta this year. So Desmond Ritter has a chance to come in and start and, and be, you know, at, at least compete for a starting job. And, and I would expect that we'll see Desmond Ritter at some point this year. Uh, all of these picks, Matt Corral to Carolina. You know, there was tons of talk about is Baker Mayfield going to get traded to Carolina, right? Well, now Matt Corral's got a chance with his arm talent, and I'm a big Matt Corral fan. You're going to put him in, in an offense that has a couple of weapons. And if, you, if you're working like that, you know, read option zone kind of scheme with Christian McCaffrey, where you're going to have a bunch of screen passes, you're going to have a bunch of easy check down passes to Christian McCaffrey, but then you also have a mobile quarterback who can pull it and run it in those situations where it's like he's got one-on-one -on -one and 10 yards in front of him, you know, and he can actually pick up some yards without getting hit. Matt Corral is going to be awesome from that. And he's going to be able to throw the deep ball too to, uh, to Moore, who I don't know why I can't think of his first name. Uh, I swear, my name just like DJ. Thank you. My my name dyslexia is getting worse and worse every pod. JD, <laughs> but I, I I actually love how most teams approach this. But 
the one thing I feel is like, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think teams went into this being like, Hey, handshake agreement. We're none of us are taking right. quarterbacks <laughs> until the third round. I think there was a ton of gamesmanship and I think it was probably insanely stressful to be in the war room on Friday and Saturday night when a lot of these quarterbacks were taken off the board. Um, Scotty, your team, as you said a little earlier, took a quarterback with Mr. Irrelevant, but you didn't like the pick necessarily. Cause obviously you want to have, you know, a little bit else there, but like, Jimmy G is still probably going to get traded before the start of training camp, but by the time the season starts. Um, so you have I'm not young... so sure, but you yeah. Don't, you don't think so? No, I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm, I'm really not sold. I think they're, they're in a position now where uh, they, they need help uh, elsewhere on defense particularly. So that if they're going to make a trade, that's what they need to seek out. But I think uh, on the offense, Jimmy G's in a position where it's going to be his position to lose. And they're really going to do him really wrong by him i think and and the first you know stretch where where he's not playing well they're gonna be like all right well that sucks you're benched uh bye um maybe but that doesn't strike me as how that organization runs i mean john lynch is i think john lynch is going to mac because the other thing too is they draft they traded up to get trey lance in the top five right Mm -hmm. they 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 made that pick and part of part of why they did that and part of why they were okay with sitting trey lance for a year is because they want that fifth year of control, right? You know, they want to have that. And, and, and at some point, like Jordan Love to me at this point is a sunk cost. I Jordan Love in Green Bay, and, and that would be the worst case scenario for San Francisco because it's not like you have Aaron Rodgers playing ahead of, of Trey Lance. You have Jimmy G. So either Trey Lance is that bad and they've done that bad of a job of developing him that he can't see the field or they're just waiting for the right trade package for Jimmy G. I, I would be shocked if Jimmy Which, G is on the on the team opening day. Yeah, the problem with that is the the market got completely saturated with uh, the Trubisky signing in the offseason here. So I think you're to your point, we might be in a spot where we can wait until somebody's getting injured in week five, six, seven, uh, get a team that is in, in need of a, a, a reliable quarterback that will overpay potentially for but that could also happen in training camp like there's usually because yeah. i go back to the carson wentz thing right like carson Teddy wentz Bridgewater. was gonna was gonna be the brat backup behind sam bradford and then you know teddy bridgewater blows out his knee minnesota makes the trade for sam bradford and now all of a sudden carson yeah. wentz gets put in the starting lineup now we haven't had a quarterback a starting quarterback go down in the preseason training camp in a while but there even are gonna the first be couple weeks are, yeah yeah so, I, yeah, at some point, this is the year where it's like, all right, well, this is kind of like Trey Lance's rookie year. But if he's not beating out Jimmy G in training camp, then that's a that's definitely a big red red flag for the Niners. Um, speaking of the Niners, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And Vito, you were the one that brought it up. Still have not heard anyone else talk about this. And I and maybe it's just because I don't know what it why. Maybe it's not as big of a deal as we kind of made it out to be. But the fact that we ended up with actually nine teams not having a first round draft pick because Arizona traded out of the first round, uh, that has to be the most in NFL history. Uh, I, I can't fact check I that. Believe I believe so. I wasn't I able to find it online. To. Yeah. Um, but nine teams without a first round draft pick. And those are a, a mixed bag of teams. So we have Chicago, who's a rebuilding team. Uh, you have Cleveland, who's kind of in a win now mode. Denver, who is in a win now mode because you have Russell Wilson. So you kind of have to go after it. Indy who's a win now team, the Rams win now Vegas win now Miami's win now San Francisco's win now. Um, and you, but also all those teams 
might be in win win now, but the rosters aren't necessarily equaling out to that. So of that crew, and and obviously both of your teams are included in that. So we can start with your two teams. Um, how are you feeling about you know how the Broncos, how the Niners did without their first round pick? Man, that's a good question because it was a, a very different feeling um, waiting so long to pick. Um, and honestly, in my whole lifetime, it's been very few times where the Broncos didn't have first round pick. We're usually just not one of those teams. Um, but for me, I loved the fact that whenever we didn't get to pick, we were just talking about the fact that we had Russell Wilson. So um, it's still this uh, it's worth it. great Your first feeling. round right. pick was Russell Wilson. Yeah, and, and not to compare, but like it's not like we traded a bunch of first to draft a player that may or may not work. We got a proven commodity. So to me, that's how, that's that's why, how I feel with AJ Brown. Yeah. It, it feels great. Right. So that to must me, be that's nice. Great. It, honestly, Scotty, right. It's a whole different situation than your Niners. What do you feel? Cause this is still right. This first is still yeah. off of the Trey Lance move. A hundred percent. And, and well, one of the, uh, I believe it was the, uh, the saints that had the, that Miami, no, who had that Miami pick that was one of ours. Anyway, um, it, uh, I'm not feeling great really after, after that draft. I, I don't know what the strategy was. They went edge in the, in the second with their first pick and then they go running back and wide receiver in the third round. Why? When the glaring obvious need is in the defensive, uh, defensive back. Uh, Jaquiski Tart is gone after this year when he's a free agent. The Niners will be happy to unload his salary. That's the mainstay in your in your defensive backfield right now, save for Jimmy Ward. Uh, so to to wait until and we'll get into this when we do the the late round steals, but to wait until uh, even the fifth and, and and then not until the seventh to get a, a defensive back and not use one of those, not use any leverage at all uh, because to get into the first round because you traded it all away to go get Trey Lance, who's not even playing right. So. Uh, to not even get into the first round or, or make a move to get into the first round to be able to go get one of those defensive backs. And I'm not talking about a guy like Stingley or, or Sauce Gardner. Those guys are going to be off the board. There's no way we were trading up that high. But, you know, late first round, we saw, we saw uh, like guys like uh, the, Florida, the guy from Florida. Kyrie Lim. Um, Kyrie Lim. Why aren't we drafting into the back end of the round to go get a guy like that? Well, you didn't uh, have trading. I mean, you said it though. You didn't have the assets because yeah. of, of the the Trey Lance pick, right? From from last year, which yeah. I understand from your perspective as a fan is frustrating. But you also have. First of all, I love the Drake Jackson pick, and I brought him up. I um, yeah, he's a great edge player. I think he's going to fit in really well in San Francisco. I know he's a USC guy, and I know that's not your favorite, Scotty, but he's a good player. I think it's a really good yeah. fit. Um, the running back thing, I don't hate because. Once you do have Trey Lance in there, you're going to be running the ball with him and with running backs. And the history over the last few years, San Francisco has needed as many running backs as possible. And they turn them all into really good players because of the scheme. And the dude from LSU is a really, really good running back. He was one of the biggest sleeper running backs in this in this draft class. So I think you have something to be excited about, as well as they had the kid from Ohio State who got hurt last year who will ultimately be back playing. Um the, the point you make about the cornerbacks, though, and I was going to bring this up when we were talking about uh, N'Kobe Dean. The second-round pick, and cornerbacks as a whole in this draft, there was a steep drop-off, right? You had the top two guys. 
you had Kyrie Elam, and then you had a couple of hybrid dudes like Daxton Hill, yeah. right, and, and Andrew Booth from um, from Andrew Clemson. Booth, but then after that, and Trent McDuffie as well, you had a bunch of guys who were first or like really early second round guys, and then a steep drop off. And then you're talking about like the cat from Houston, um, and, and and he was the last. And because I looked this up when I was trying to figure out Kobe um, Bryant, I mean, <laughs> well, Kobe Bryant was there, but I also like I. I like Kobe Bryant, but I also understood why the, you know, he didn't go right. Marcus Jones, the cornerback out of uh, Houston was the only guy really who I would have been like, if the Eagles had not taken the Kobe Dean take Marcus Jones, but if they had, yeah, we could have had a third round cornerback, but at the same time, like I would much rather have Nicobe Dean. So they definitely made the right pick there. That third to seven range for cornerbacks it is completely hit or miss, right? You had Cordell Flott from LSU, who was an okay player, but even he went off at pick 81, which is before you guys picked in the third round anyway. So you yeah. would have either had to reach up or reach back, right? Trade back at the end of the second round and taken somebody, um, or you would have had to spend more assets that you didn't have. And the other thing I'll say here too, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but this is a rare year for undrafted free agents. You know, the Eagles signed Mario Goodrich, who was the cornerback opposite Andrew Booth, who, in my estimation, you know, slightly less athletic, but basically the same production as Andrew Booth at at Clemson this year and played on a really, really good defense for Clemson this year. That is a high value pick. And it's all because of the COVID year where we had this backlog of, of older guys who didn't go out last year, but were still borderline NFL players. And that's why we saw a lot of small. That's why we saw a guy like Troy Anderson get drafted ahead of N'Kobe Dean right out of Montana state, because he had f- almost five years of tape that told you, yeah, this dude is actually a really productive player, even though he played at the FCS level. Um, so you just had a lot of that. I think it was a hard draft to navigate. And I think what San Francisco did was they took the best players for what they do at the best points. And they didn't over hype focus on need necessarily. They just took the best players that were there. The, the one thing to go back to, to your original question is how do we think our teams drafted? I thought, um the Broncos did okay there were a couple picks I liked and it was actually my favorite pick was probably you know the fourth round we drafted Damari Mathis a corner out of pit I actually really liked him um mm-hmm. and and if you watch this tape I mean he, he played very well against Penn State he played very well against probably his best opponents which I thought was really fun to see um and the other note on corner there were a few other I had there um in general, I'd say the Broncos did okay. If you include the Russell Wilson, we fucking dominated. Uh, but That's the uh, on the corner, on the corner front, uh, there was a guy who we, who we mentioned off camp, Gregory Jr. The guy to uh, Outshika Baptist uh, went to the Jaguars in the sixth round. We had uh, TCF Tyree Castro Fields out of Penn State go to San Fran actually late. And, and Scott, I think, I mean, he's out of Penn State, yeah, but he's six one. I mean, I think what you're seeing is you have athletic guys who have the length to play in the NFL and maybe they were hit or miss in college, but they're drafting again to see what can you do when you're in the NFL and you need that kind of length. Now we have seen some guys go shorter, but um, I just really like some of these picks that are later. There is a drop-off in terms of certainty, but I do think there is an athletic ability in college football at the corner position that we really probably, I would say in the early 2000s was not the same. Um, you know, there, there are just so many three wide receiver sets, even at the high school level now that the talent, both on the wide receiver and cornerback side are, is pretty deep. So 
I'm actually really excited to see some of these later round guys. And maybe that's because the Broncos took two of them, but uh, <laughs> I am excited to see some of these names. And to your point, Jeff, some of the unrestricted free agents that that team signed to be on their practice squad. Some of these guys will end up on a roster and some mm. of them will make a difference. I guarantee it. Well, and Schefter has a suite. He puts it out every year, but like there's more Hall of Famers that were undrafted than first overall picks, right? And then like more second round. Like there, there's a couple of stats out there that like make it make you fall in love with the idea of undrafted rookies. And and I'll say this: pump the brakes on that, just like pump the brakes on a lot of these late round guys, right? We're excited because we're right here. And yes, there's always the chance that you're gonna land on the Jordan Mailata, right? Which was a shot in the dark, and you hope that it worked out, and luckily it did. But you know, and even like someone like Avante Maddox, right, for the Eagles. And yes, I'm using Eagles examples, but they're just kind of off the top of my head. You know, Avante Maddox is the fourth round pick. Coach Watkins is a sixth round pick. Like there are guys who can play at this level, but the likelihood that you hit on them is not typically that high. Um, I'll say for your boys, Vito, Nick Benito, I, I thought he was a borderline first round talent. Um, and the fact that he fell all the way to the last pick of the second round for y'all's first pick, I thought that was a fantastic pickup. There is definitely mm-hmm. still the stigma with Big 12 edge rushers, Big 12 linemen, D linemen. Um, and he's a technically an outside linebacker, but he's just going to be rushing the passer for you. He's a great rotation guy to have in. I think that was an awesome pickup. And I also loved Greg Dulcich because if we're talking about, hey, we had to give up Noah Fant, Greg Dulcich was my favorite tight end coming into this class in terms of on the field. Grant, we still love you. You're still number one in our hearts, but I love Dulcich. Dulcich was a, is a freak athlete. And, and in addition to it, he can block, he can catch the ball. You know, we talked about it when we talked about Chip Kelly and that UCLA team, they're a running team. You know, people think Chip Kelly, they think passing. No, they were a running team. They asked him to do a lot and he can catch the ball. I think he's going to be a great fit with Russell Wilson. We know how Russell Wilson has elevated his tight ends over the years. Right. He's made Luke Wilson look awesome. He's looked Gerald Everett look awesome. He's made yeah, these he's guys killed Graham's career. He's 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 been hit or miss for sure. I well, think. I mean, part of that, I would say Graham this. too, but like, yeah, even I Greg would Olson, say no like, matter what the talent, they were always to your point at a certain level of like in fantasy to your point, having Russell Wilson's tight end is always going to be a top 10 tight end. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. Right. And, and I would also say too, you know, when it comes to, to Russ, like, you look at someone like Greg Olson, like Greg Olson at the end of his career, who wasn't much of an athlete anymore, the corpse of Greg Olson out running around out there. And yet he was still a productive player for Seattle in his last season in the NFL. So it's uh, so bad that I compare those two just because they're Greg O's in my mind. Like when we draft him, like, Oh, we got like, you know, Greg, Greg Olson kind of style. It's just so funny. I instantly just compare those two guys. Yeah. I, so I think that, I think that was a great, uh, great pick for them. Um, let's take a look. Chicago is an interesting one, right? They make the trade up to go get, uh, Justin Fields last year, and they spent their first two picks this season on defensive backs. Uh, Kyler Gordon out of Washington, and then Jaquan Briskert, Penn State guy. Love the Jaquan Brisker pick. I think he's a, I think he's gonna be a really, really good player. If I'm being brisky, totally honest, brisky, wow, wow, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and then they also got, I think, one of the more sleeper wide receivers in the draft, in Bellis Jones Jr. out of Tennessee, uh, dude who put up really good numbers for a very middle of the road like growing program in the second year there uh or i guess first year there um for uh, uh for tennessee i'm blanking why am i blanking on the coach's names this is what happens when you're not working like Brable. college football every single day um oh, not the NFL no 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 yeah the tennessee <laughs> vols man uh the guy who was the uh the coach at ucf after um 
Oh my God, this is killing me. Josh Koopel. Josh Heupel. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Josh Heupel, Heisman dude, played Oklahoma, really good offensive mind, um, Mm -hmm. and has done a really good job in just one year at Tennessee, uh, trying to help flip that program. Um, Vellis Jones Jr. looked great last year with a very mediocre quarterback. Um, So for them, I I like what Chicago did, but again, they had a ton of picks. I mean, they had, I think, 12 picks here in the the draft. Um, And they went out and got some guys who were going to help them right away. I think Jaquan Brisker is going to come in. And Chicago still has a good defensive line, good linebacking course. You're going to load up the defensive end here with the defensive-minded coach coming in from Green Bay. Uh, I I think that was a really good pick for them. Uh, The Cleveland Browns were another one here. Uh, They didn't pick until the third round, but they stole two guys who I think will be great players for them because they're going to be rotational guys who are going to be able to slide in. David Bell, the wide receiver out of Purdue. Yeah. Love David Bell. I I think that is a late round steal for them. They've done a really good job in that, that spot for wide receivers over the last couple of years. You look at Donovan Peoples Jones, right. As a, as a prime example of that, who's coming and has been really productive for them. Uh, and, and with you know Jarvis Landry come back, you're getting another weapon for um, Deshaun Watson. Third round guy again with how deep these wide receivers go. If you transplant David Bell back ten years ago, he's probably a first round pick. Um, that's just how deep we are at the wide receiver position right now. And then Perion Winfrey, the defensive tackle out of Oklahoma, similar to Benito, it's that Big Twelve bias. I thought Perion Winfrey, his size, again, he's going to be a rotational guy for an already stacked defensive line. Uh, in Cleveland the rest of it oh and they also had uh, one of my favorite players in the draft and another position they've done a really good job at uh, Jerome Ford um, the uh, the running back mm. out of Cincinnati now I they can't had... believe yeah I can't believe he's gonna be with their third or fourth string it's just incredible because well, I you're to the rotation point they've had injuries but man I love him and they're I'm gonna trying be to remember who was the, who was the running back who they um they had who was the wide receiver hybrid, the kid from uh, UCLA last. Dearness Johnson obviously came in. Demetric Felton, right? So, yes. Yeah, right. You have Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, who had that sick game of the game you were at, Vito, the Thursday night yeah. game against Denver. Uh, now that you add Jerome Ford and you have Demetric Felton there, that's five dudes. And the thing I like about Ford is he's similar. To, he's not quite because Demetric Felton at UCLA was like all you could use him at wide receiver, slot, outside, and at running back. Swiss Army knife kind of dude. Jerome Ford is definitely more running back first, but he just adds depth. And with Chubb and Hunt, you want insurance there. You want a dude who is fast. And, and Jerome Ford, you know, he he didn't just beat dudes. He like broke away from dudes. Like, absolute burner with the ball in his hands. Um, so I like that pick for Cleveland. And Cleveland is clearly in that, like, hey, we're trying to win now, right? Like, we have Deshaun Watson now. We have a good defense. We have one of the best offensive lines in football when they're healthy. Let's go all in. Fuck it. You know, like, why not? Um, Denver, we talked about. Let's go to Indianapolis. Um, yeah, that's where I was going to go. Um, two, Their first two picks, honestly, the first three picks I thought were all great. Um, we'll start with their third, Bernard Raymond, uh, offensive tech out of Central Michigan. He was a dude who some people actually had as high of a grade as, like, mid to late first round. Um, but a lot of people had some concerns about him. There's some injury history with Bernard Raymond uh, to get him in the third round. I thought was a great pick, especially for a team that, you know, it, offensive tackle is, has been a position of need for them for a while. And then the two pass catchers, they got Jelani Woods, who is as much of an athletic freak as we have. When you talk about size, speed, and just rawness, we talked, touched on him when we did our draft preview uh, at the tight end position. I love Jelani Woods and it just gives another weapon there, for uh for matt ryan to have and then alec pierce the wide receiver out of cincinnati 
Uh, yeah. I think he's the only pause I have is I think his a good comp for him is Michael Pittman, right? It's a big bodied wide receiver. Uh, speed's not going to blow you off the charts, but it's plenty fast enough to play in the NFL. Separation might be a little bit of an issue when you're talking about NFL cornerbacks, but if he's their second or third wide receiver with Michael Pittman on the other side, I think that's a really good pick. And they got him in the second round. Um, he started jumping up draft teams, you know, draft boards for a lot of teams. And during the season, there was this buzz of like, is this guy even going to be a pretty good pro? Is he too slow? Yeah. Right. All the things you say about a white wide receiver, right. Is like, Oh, is he going to be fast enough to do this? Um, yeah. I mean, upside for him is I think really, really high because he's got plenty of speed and his contested catch ability is really good. But that also brings a little bit of concern when you're talking about, you know, if he's having contested catches in college, it's the same thing with Drake London. What's he going to do when he's going up against NFL cornerbacks? Yeah. Right. Um, no, I, I, I thought those top picks for them were great. I love, I love, absolutely love Bernard Raymond. I can't believe that again, he fell to that third round. And that I think that was to me, one of the best picks of, of um, that third round itself. Yeah. I, I, to me, their best draft pick, uh, best value draft pick was Nick Cross, the safety out of Maryland. Mm-hmm. I mean, just explosive can play on uh, outside, inside can, can, Play with the tight end. He ran the fastest forty time of all the safeties, uh, and he's and he's a really tough kid and great in pass coverage. Uh, absolutely demolished Penn State <laughs> the two years that yeah. that, uh, that he started. I was, at the, so, I was at the game this year. I mean, I mean, Jahan yeah. burnt burnt him a couple of times, but I mean, and, that's how good Jahan is. Too. Jahan's that good, yeah. though. Yeah, but I think I, Nick Cross was like early second, and, and they got him at ninety six overall. Uh, did the Colts? So I mean, that's a, that's me, a great value pick for me. Yeah, to me, the other team that I was just shocked, like once you recap, right, you sit back and you look back at all the picks, the team that I was just so surprised that I think drafted so damn well were the Chiefs, um, given they had a lot of picks. So it makes it easier to have two firsts and two seconds. But they went with Trent McDuffie from Washington the corner. Then they get uh, George, uh, help me on the name here, Jeff. Uh, thank you. I always mess that one up. Then they get Don't Sky Moore. Yeah, they get Sky Moore and Brian Cook, who Brian Cook, yeah, he was at Cincy and – Again, that Cincy team, um, they had, I, I believe, nine players drafted. Uh, so th- it was pretty, pretty incredible to see that. Yeah, for a Power 5 school, I mean, that easily puts them up there as one of the best, if not the best, Power 5. With the old Boise uh, 2007 game um, team against uh, Oklahoma, who won. But in general, more. I, I <laughs> How many really... of those guys ended up being good pros, though, is the question. Right. Because and I think... I- you know, when you're drafting players who win, like what the Eagles did, right? You're they were drafting Alabama guys last year and Georgia guys this year. That's one thing, but with Cincinnati, it is still a group of five recruits, right? But it at is. the same time, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say like, oh, well, they're going to be Boise State from that year either. Right. I, I just think in general that that the Chiefs in their first four picks, and and even you go to the um, getting the linebacker out of Wisconsin, uh, Leo Chanel, uh, there, there were a couple picks that I was just like, damn, that was a really good player. And the Chiefs, I feel like, picked almost the best player for them at a lot of these spots. I was really impressed. And uh, that was one team to me that really jumped off the board once I yeah. looked back. Wisconsin linebackers are never a bad bet. Right. They're, they're just never – if you're going to draft a linebacker from a school – Or O-lineman. <laughs> yeah, or O-lineman. Honestly, anyone on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball or the offensive line uh, or running back, Wisconsin just – puts out really good pros uh, because that's Mm -hmm. the kind of guys that they go after. Um, I do want to say the Rams drafted Kyron Williams, which uh, spoiler, he was one of my favorite late round picks. 
Um, great running back out of Notre Dame and just adds to a room because this is what they've done, right? It's been the Daryl Henderson picks. It's been the Cam Akers picks, right? These are the things that a good team with a good, with a good Cooper foundation, ah. right? <laughs> I just mean like from the running back perspective, oh. <laughs> they've always cycled through late round guys. They, they approach the running back position perfectly in my mind. And what I've been banging on the doors for years, you know, being like, why are we drafting a bunch of running backs super high? You can find value later in rounds. I really like what they did there. And again, just adding another proven player uh, who's got four years of playing experience at Notre Dame, but, you know, didn't start a whole lot with split. Didn't really start full time until this year Um, before Kenneth Walker exploded, you know, going into the season, a lot of people thought Kyron Williams was arguably the best running back in football. And the other thing too, is they lost his entire starting line from his junior year to his senior year, at least from the 2020 season to the 2021 season. So he went from having one of the best offensive lines in football to having a very mediocre offensive line who, albeit did start to play better as the year went on and his game improved with that as well. So I thought that was another yeah. really good pick. Uh, speaking of, uh, of running backs, uh, speaking of Ken Walker, uh, I, and it pains me to say this, but I love the draft that Seattle had, like they did really, really well. Uh, yeah. Just, just an unbelievable job. They shored up every position they needed. They got Charles cross, uh, they got Kenneth Walker in the second. Uh, Abe Lucas out of the, the tackle out of Washington State to shore up that that uh, left side, uh, and then Kobe Bryant slipped to them in the uh, in the fourth. So I, I think they just did a great job. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have drafted a running back that high for them just because that's drafting a running back in the second or third round. Like you're looking to try to again, it's like it's a win now move. You know, you can find guys in undrafted free agency. You can find a lot of running backs who in free agency are just walking the street. Honestly, guys who are right around the NFL who can come in and be productive for you. Ken walking the street. There you go. There it is. Um, the last couple of teams, Vegas didn't really do anything that jumped out to me. Um, the Miami Dolphins were another Except one. Except Wayne Newton as their, their, only, their first draft pick announcement. Yeah, yeah right. Um <laughs> Miami only had four picks uh, started in the third round, but their first pick, they took Channing Tindall inside linebacker from Georgia, right? Which is, again, it's that whole idea of, hey, are we going to take just a player from a good team who's got a decent upside and didn't get a chance to see the field field a lot because of how many good players were on that Georgia team? You know, when you're playing behind or sometimes next to N'Kobe Dean, yeah, you're not going to get all the reps at inside linebacker. I thought that was a really good value pick for them. Uh, and then your Niners, we covered there at the end as well. So uh, really interesting draft from that perspective. Last thing here before we take a break and touch a little bit on the NBA, um, your sleeper picks, right? Guys who went on Saturday who you think have a chance to be really, really good pros in the NFL. We can start. Whoever wants to go first, go ahead and grab. I got, a, I got a laundry list here. All right. Go ahead, Scotty. Run, uh, run, so I run got, through. Uh, so Saturday picks, uh, uh, Kobe Bryant was Friday, so that I won't count that one. How about Ty Chandler, a fifth-round pick? Uh, I'll get a little Mel Kuyper on you. Running back out of North Carolina, excellent upside, uh, great passing game. Uh, can catch the ball really well. He's got the strength uh, to uh, to pound the run, too. He was a fifth-round pick to Minnesota. Uh, uh, also on my list uh, are two Penn State guys, not to be a homer. Uh, but Rashid Walker, who was a seventh round draft pick for uh, for Green Bay, uh, offensive tackle out of Penn State, uh, just an unbelievable pass blocker, really quick, really uh, quick in the in the short explosive game. Excellent point of attack for the run blocking. Needs to get more consistent, but uh, a really really great value pick. Uh, he's a big dude, and uh, and he'll be able to do well uh, protecting the 
one and only Aaron Rodgers. And then uh, we touched on a little bit earlier when we talked about cornerbacks, but uh, not to be a double homer, but this was a cornerback that the 49ers drafted uh, to Castro fields at Penn state uh, is big, physical, fast corner uh, can play a regular pass game and nickel. Uh, he, he just pushes guys to the middle, uses his strength and his length to make plays. Six one. He's a great kid. Uh, unbelievable pick in the sixth round for the 49ers. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I basically have one for each round, if that's cool. So in the, in the fourth, I actually really like Zamir White, and I think this is a good place to draft him. Running back out of Georgia, um, you know, he's, yeah, I mean, he, he's a beast, and, um, you know, he, he definitely uh, makes it tough to uh, to hit him. Like, he's, he's a pretty, I would say, just shifty running back. In the fifth round, it's the first pick. It's Sam Howell. To me, I couldn't believe that – um, you know, Washington got him that late, the Washington whatever's making a, a great pick there because, um, again, you're securing a chance at your future and a solid backup situation with Carson Wentz, who has gone down basically every year that he's played in the last four. Um, so, uh, you know, last year, I guess he – I don't think he went down last year, but – No, he um, did play – he played on the two played sprained the ankles. Don't know how that's he right. played with two oh, sprained right. ankles, but he, he found a way. Uh, and then in the sixth, it's obviously um, talking about being a homer, uh, you know, Grant Calcaterra. I just think the upside there is just incredible um, for the Eagles. And to get him that late is great. Um, I think there were a lot of a lot of worst ends taken over him there. And then in the seventh round, this is actually for me a guy I didn't really fall in love with until the draft. And they started showing some stuff. And then I went back and looked at him and, and was like, oh, damn, no way. Uh, it was actually a guy taken pretty late here. It was. Um, Andrew Stuber is a guard out of Michigan. And when you watch this tape, he actually, he played a lot of good teams really well. Um, now I will say that, you know, um, I usually, uh, I'm not really staring at guards in the seventh round. Like that's not where I'm looking at value, but for some reason it was a guy who jumped out once he started watching, once they showed some tape and you know, rewatched some of the draft there, it was really fun. Um, knew this tape, we kind of looped it when we were well, on in we Michigan too. Them. Michigan, you know, won the Joe Moore award, right? That goes to the best offensive line in football, uh, yep. in college football. And he was a starting guard on that team. So I, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, I have a few here. Um, Isaiah Spiller. I said he was my, uh, probably oh, yeah. one of my favorite running backs. He goes were, to the LA Chargers. You were real uh, high on him in the, in the preseason college football too. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I see the speed. Like there's something about, you know, the breakaway speed, the shiftiness, the catching the ball in the backfield. And he goes to the L.A. Chargers where it feels like it's been Austin Eckler and then Justin Jackson for like five years. Right. Like yeah. so to add a young, fresh set of legs there, guy who can make some moves. I, I, I love that addition because I think immediately he'll come in and supplant Justin Jackson. He'll be the number two guy. You'll see him on third downs because he's got big playability. They got him in the fifth round. I thought it was an absolute steal and a great need for a team that is right on the cusp. You know, if he's the Corey Clement kind of guy that can put you over the edge, I think it's a great pick. Uh, this one's a little interesting only because they just drafted a quarterback last year. But I loved Bailey Zappi to New England. That felt like a very New England pick. I mean, this is a dude who broke every single passing record in college football last season, is a gamer, uh, but is definitely still a little raw. But small school guy, he's got a little of that Jimmy G vibe to him. Or maybe all of a sudden Mac Jones is struggling. Mac Jones gets hurt. Maybe it's Brady and and uh, 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 I can't remember the freaking quarterback. Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe. No. Thank you. Well, yeah, um, but I was even. But thinking, also, who's, 
No, who's Matt, the guy who came in? Matt, what Matt was Castle. Name? Matt Castle. Matt Castle. The 10 and 10 and right. 11 and 5 year, then he gets yep. traded. Yeah. Yep. So in 2009. So, you know, maybe it's something like that. But either way, I think it's a smart player. It's a cerebral player. It's a perfect New England player. They get him in the fourth round. Um, and look, Brian Hoyer has been the backup in New England for a decade, it feels like, too. So to get, again, another young player they can develop there, I think was a good pick. Uh, I have two other ones or three other ones, kind of, but two went to the same team. Uh, Jamari Salier. Uh, guard from Georgia, he goes to the LA Chargers as well. Yes. Now, now they He's drafted my list. They drafted Zion Johnson in the first round, so I don't think it's going to be a, a big deal there. But depth at the offensive line for the Chargers is huge, and they have two guys now. Zion Johnson's going to go in and probably be the starting guard at the start of the season. But now you're going to add another dude in Jamari Salier, who honestly is big enough to play tackle in the NFL. But that offensive line at Georgia was massive. And he played all five spots on the line. So throughout the season. So you're getting a versatile offensive lineman who's a big dude. That's a great, great pick. Uh, and then the last two were Baltimore Ravens picks. I have Daniel Falele, the offensive tackle out of Minnesota, who is that physical monster awesome. of a human being. I think that's again quintessential Baltimore Ravens pick. And then a guy who I, I would put money on now, you will see playing for the Baltimore Ravens at some point this year, the running back of the sixth uh, sixth round pick for them, Tyler Beatty, uh, Batty out of Missouri. Um, just another really good SEC running back. And, and when you play in Missouri and your speed is on par with the Alabamas and there's other teams that you're playing out of the SEC, Texas A&M, and you're scoring big touchdowns, you're out running guys, you get him in the sixth round, those late round running backs can be huge players for them. And with, you know, K.J. Dobbins is coming back, but who knows what happens with Gus Edwards? Who knows what happens with some of these other dudes with all those injuries they had at running back? Having a dude like Tyler Batty is a really – or Beatty, I think it is, is actually a, a really nice player. So um, those are my picks. NFL Draft, what a fucking weekend. One of my favorite of the year. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll touch on a little NBA playoff basketball, and we'll get you on your way to the rest of the week. With the NFL Draft over – that was kind of the last major sporting event we have before it just becomes NBA basketball. Cause we're now in the second round of the NBA. Uh, since we last talked, I was depressed about the Sixers. The Sixers go out and beat Toronto by 35 points. And now Joel Embiid is going to be missing for uh, well, what, what seems at least a minimum of two games. I would be surprised if we see him. He's got the orbital fracture over one of his eyes though. He has had this injury before. Uh, but he had the surgery and then came back three, three uh, weeks later. So uh, if he's going to play, he's going to be playing with the mask. And it's it's not doesn't look good for Philly. Um, that's OK. We draft the Kobe team. Everything's fine. Uh, and then we also, since the last time we talked, we had game six between Memphis and Minnesota. The Grizzlies win. And then they go on against the Warriors in the first game of the second round. And an absolute nail biter. Phenomenal game between Golden State and Memphis. Yes, it was. Golden State holds on to the end, even with the ejection to Draymond Green. And then the other game we had on Sunday was Milwaukee and Boston. Now, Boston, of course, Boston does this. I did I did a whole thing at the start of the pod on Friday, you know, hyping up the Boston Celtics. They're the they have to be my new favorites in the in, in the entire mm-hmm. NBA to win the title. And they got absolutely bodied by the Milwaukee Bucks. It felt personal with Drew Holiday going up against Marcus Smart. You know, oh, Marcus Smart, your defensive player of the year. I'm going to show you what the best defensive guard in the NBA is going to do. And he put him through an absolute blender. I would expect Boston to bounce back. But this was the first time really since the new year 
that Boston hasn't quite looked like that. It looks like December Boston and now what we saw post new year, Boston. Uh, so here we are two games in tonight as we're recording this. Now, this is Monday. Uh, we have the Sixers and heat game one, and then the Mavericks Suns game one, both of those will go on. Oh yeah. And the Phoenix Suns also just blew out uh, new Orleans to close it off. Shout out to the Pelicans, by the way, uh, unbelievable run for them and, and a really likable team. And, if they get yeah, Zion back be next back. year, if they get healthy Zion yeah. back, which by all accounts, even though there's all that drama with him, it seems like he wants to stay in New Orleans, even though, you know, there's been some stuff with his injury. Oh, but the playoffs will do that to you, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, will see. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty enticing thing. I heard some people kind of comparing it to like the bubble Suns when the Suns went on that like 9-0 win streak in the, yeah, in the yeah. bubble. And then they needed, like, even if they won all their games, which they did, they were going to need something else to happen. And then Chris Paul was that piece that took him over the edge. Well, maybe Zion's that piece for, for New Orleans. Who knows? Um, I want to start with the Boston and Milwaukee series because with all the debate between, between Jokic and Embiid and the MVP and then KD too, and the, who everyone said a different person through the best player in the, year, in the league is. And Giannis is just over there like, hey, guys. You remember me, two MVPs, two defensive player of the years, reigning NBA champion and NBA finals MVP. My knee went backwards and I came back two days later and still helped win the NBA finals. Remember this guy? Yeah. Yeah. We remember who that guy is. Um, And it felt like with Giannis is just hitting a level right now where I think he is undeniably the best player in the NBA. Like, I don't think anyone else can argue it. Like he's, he's the best player in basketball right now. Uh, no, there's no argument there. I mean, th- look, and he does it at both ends of the floor, right? You know, we talk about like, like a guy like Chris Paul now, who who had an amazing game seven against the Pelicans, 14, went 14 of 14, 14 to end game. the game. That, that is unbelievable. Uh, and 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 even guys like Steph, who uh, we talked about as as really more offensive potent threats, Giannis is doing it at both. Even KD. Uh, to an extent, but Giannis is doing it at both ends of the floor, and he's done that throughout the the two MVP campaigns he's had. He did it throughout the entirety of the playoffs last year, and he's doing it doing it again this year. And it it's not a slouch, it's not a fluke. It's like that's just how good Giannis is, and it is time that everyone start literally paying attention. Uh, to the fact that this is the greatest player in the world at this time. I'm sorry, LeBron. Like, it just hand the torch over. It's fine. It's all good. Giannis is the best. And why do we? There's no question about but, it. But why? That's my thing. Is what, what is it about? Is it just that he plays in the small market? Is it that this this quick flip nature that we have with NBA players? Where we're already on to the next big thing. I mean, like. Giannis, because that's the thing, Giannis didn't even dominate. The, it wasn't like he had some 40-point game. He had a ridiculous stat line, 24 points, 13 rebounds, and 12 assists, right? So an unbelievable performance from Giannis, but that goes to his basketball IQ, right? He knew, like, yeah, I'm so physically dominating, but I can't – like, I need everyone else to do well. Drew Holiday led the team in scoring. He had 25. You know, he had three steals. Like, Drew Holiday was amazing in this game, and his impact on the floor. Like, he, the box score can't measure how great – Drew Holiday was in that game, but I just still see Giannis finding ways to dominate without it just being overpowering people, which for years, that seemed like the thing that we kind of 
held to, not against him, but the thing we always said about him was like, oh, he can just dominate. It's like Shaq, but he's doing it passing the ball. He's doing it shooting, yeah. you know, decent from three. And, and even on his off night scoring, he still was the most dominant player on the floor after we just saw Jason Tatum bury the Brooklyn Nets. And he's, he, all of the, what you're saying is true. And again, from my perspective, the thing is, he's not my favorite player to watch. Hmm. I would rather watch Embiid. And I think the way Embiid moves, and I know, I know how talented Jokic is, and it's, it's an incredible thing. But for me, there's something about the way Embiid plays and, and how, like, to your point, the Joker doesn't, um, I don't want to say well, that. This is, I would just say Embiid, this is This is Giannis. Oh, you're talking, yeah, yeah. Well, even even at, at Giannis, Giannis's case, like all, all of these NBA, what you would say MVP candidates, right? That you talk about and all these different things. There's an aspect of style of play. And I think that's the conversation that people will somehow blur into dominance on the court. And they are different. To your point, Embiid doesn't really ever like offensively, he's gonna overpower you. Like that is what's gonna happen. And he can, right? And he does the thing that I do love about both these guys. They play both ends so well. It's why people fall in love with a guy like Clay Thompson because he plays both ends so well and, and he'll take your best player and he'll also score like, you know, a little less than Steph, but he still has the willpower to score, especially at his prime. And I just think that um, people fall in love with players that play on both ends, but style somehow falls into it. And, and you're right. I think small market honestly does have a lot to do with it. If I'm being honest, like he is not seen as much. And when you see him, it's usually – on a commercial about them playing a big market team is when he's yeah. premiered where you're, you're going to hear and beat all the damn time. Yeah. Giannis is, is so physically gifted. I mean, the dude's seven feet tall. He handles the ball. I think we're still reminded of young Giannis, like this dude who was nothing but the Greek freak. Right. And then yeah. we don't give enough credit to the other areas of his game that he's improved. We don't give enough credit to the fact that, I mean, he is in my opinion, the best defensive player in the league. Um, there's no one more physically imposing, even with Embiid at the, at the rack, like Giannis has that too at, at seven feet tall and at his size, but Giannis also as a passer, as a ball handler, as a shooter has slowly developed all these skills over the course of the years, but yet we still look at him and, and we we're so quick. I don't know why we don't want to embrace Giannis as like, he is the face, but I think that's when it's like, well, he plays for Milwaukee and, but like, there's not a single person who covers the NBA or is around the NBA who doesn't love Giannis. Giannis is just nothing but joy and, and loves the game and is fun to be around. And people just love this dude. I mean, the fact that he goes into his post-game press conferences with a book that's literally just called like the book of dad jokes. And he just reads a different joke out to start off his press conference, you know, I going, vibe and, with that. <laughs> going and getting the, yeah, no, especially you, Scotty. Yeah. Um, but going and getting the 50 piece, you know, nugget meal from Chick-fil-A after winning a championship, you know, when he discovered that, like he opened up a press conference one time being like, did you guys know that you, you can dip Oreos? Like you can dip an Oreo in milk and eat it. And like, there, there's just so many interesting, <laughs> he's so likable. And yet yeah. for whatever reason, and maybe it's just how cynical we all are in social media, he's almost too nice. He's almost too likable for us to have these debates because all he does is dominate win games. And the, what was the best defense in the NBA, they just absolutely bodied and Giannis had whatever he wanted. And he was able to also, even when his shots weren't falling, he goes nine for 25 from the floor, but he still gets everybody else involved in the game. And Gian, this is the scary thing for Boston. Giannis played to his standards, a pretty average game. 
right? Yes, he he he, but he also he adjusted, which is a big sign. But like six of eleven from from the foul line, right? O of two from three, nine of twenty five from the field, only twenty four points. If you had just said those stats and said that that was what he had in game one and left out the rebounds and assists and that kind of stuff, I would have said, oh yeah, Boston probably wins that game by twenty, especially without their second best player in uh, Chris Middleton, who is in a walking bucket. It. <laughs> It's yeah. at this point he can single handedly carry teams and it's it's amazing. Um, the uh, the Golden State Warriors again they win big. Jordan Poole at this point there's just no other conversation to be had other than just Jordan Poole is an absolute stud. Can you believe that? I mean, like if he continues scoring at this rate, like we have to be the favorites, right? Well, this is like when you pair him with Stephen Clay. <laughs> what's crazy to me is this is like it's almost like this. So in football you can only have one quarterback start. Right. But to me, this is almost a handoff of like Roger or from Favre to Rogers from like Steph to pool. Like this is an incredible young player. And the fact that they're on the court at the same time is fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's that. And you have Clay Thompson there too. I mean, Clay goes yeah. three of 10 and Wiggins. Three. And yeah, I mean, Wiggins has been, has been really good in his role. The more impressive thing here for golden state. And this is where that continuity that like, Hey, look at the last six championships. We've been in four out of the last six championships. Like we're not done. I know, you know, between Steph's injury and Clay's injuries and all that, like, yeah, we haven't been on the court. We haven't been in this moment for a while, but our dynasty is still intact here. You know? And and when you look at it from a, a bigger picture perspective, you look at like the San Antonio Spurs, the Spurs won five championships and they all came in three different decades. They won in 99, they won in the 2000s, and then they won in uh, 20, what was it, 2013? 11. 2011. Um, the last year that they won there when they knocked off the Miami Heat, right? So, and, and honestly, if it wasn't for Ray Allen, they probably would have had a sixth championship in that run too. Like, dynasties can last a long time. And I give credit to the front office for the Golden State Warriors for believing in that. And, and Jordan Poole, yeah, it technically was off the bench. He played 38 minutes. He just didn't technically start. But 31 points off the bench – Oh, five of 10 from three. And you're adding another dude who scares you that way from, I mean, that's like the one thing that can slow down Boston or Milwaukee, who I think one of those two teams will end up uh, representing the East in the finals. That three point shooting when they're that way, it, there's nothing you can do. And the fact that Draymond gets ejected after only 17 minutes in this game, he gets ejected back into the first half. And that's what Draymond does for them defensively. He is the quarterback of their defense, right? He's constantly getting everybody moving. He matches up with whatever team's big man is against them so they can play small. He and played Jokic play. the entire time in the first round. Yeah. And he's going up against, you know, Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson Jr. And like Jaron Jackson yeah. Jr. had a night. That's because for the second half of the game, he didn't have Draymond Green going up against them. And yeah, yeah Josh ja, ja had his amazing up. game. But if Golden State can win without having Draymond for an entire half, it says a lot about where Golden State is. Draymond just needs to make sure we don't replicate what happened in 2016 and getting ejected and kick a guy many, in the nuts because of yeah. too many flagrant fouls. That's yeah, no the big doubt. part for Golden State. Yeah, where he needs to your, be on the floor. Where's your championship meter at right now as a fan, Scotty? Uh, approaching uh, approaching the 90th percentile. I mean, look, like wow. if those if those three guys play and score, uh, Steph Clay and uh, and Jordan Poole. Not only that, you got Looney who can play in the inside. Look at some of these switch plays that they ran yesterday. Uh, they're they're running passes out on the perimeter, and all of a sudden, uh, Looney's open down low. Otto Porter's open down low, and it's the extra pass that they make that they don't need to take the three, but they can take the three. And hey, but also Otto Porter's open right for uh, for uh, an easy dunk. 
but then on the defensive side of the ball is what really gets me going uh, because it's Gary Payton. It's, it's clay tops. It's guys who did it all year, but like the big and Draymond and the, the big playmaking that, that both clay and Steph Curry had one of the biggest defensive plays of the game and late in the fourth quarter yesterday. Uh, and and it, it was a, it was a stop on, on John Morant driving to the hole. Uh, just like it was at the very end of the game where Clay Thompson pushed uh, a driving John Morant all the way out to the to an angle where he couldn't hit the layup uh, and the Warriors hang on to win. It's the defense like that. Uh, and Jordan Poole's doing it too on that side as well, uh, pretty adeptly. So, uh, well, they've it's, always it's been the such de- a good defensive team in yeah, communicating. And the fact that they did that without Draymond in the second half, yes, I think, was, was that, the most important piece of all this. Exactly. And Kamingo yeah, was- comes in there off the bench with Draymond goes down. And people are running, all right, well, what are we getting out of Kaminga, who was this, you know, kind of a risk, but also they had the first round pick this year, played pretty good for a rookie, man, in the playoffs. I, six I points, love him too. six rebounds, He's... like plays really, really hard, is the best athlete on the court. Um, I, I'm I'm almost there with you. I think Phoenix getting De- Devin Booker back is different, right? He didn't That's look huge. great yeah. in that game. And I think tonight against Dallas, we'll see – kind of where Devin Booker is at, but him coming back ahead of schedule to go up against New Orleans was a big deal for that team and for that, that whole playoff run uh, after an unbelievable regular season. But that being said, three is still worth more than two. And if you're having any two of those three splash brothers getting hot, I mean, Steph goes five of 12 from three. That's kind of an off night for Steph. Yeah. You know, you're going to have big Steph nights. Clay had an off night, but then Jordan Poole's goes 50% from three. And and Steph was also eight of eight for two from uh, within the three point line. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting looks at the basket when he gets to the rim and he can, when Steph can mix in that, like I'm getting to the hole and I'm going to finish. Like that's always been the most underrated part of his game is how good of a finisher he is because of how amazing he is at shooting it's always an afterthought, but when he's able to get to the hole and is able to finish around the rim. Uh, and again, if Draymond's healthy defensively, I think they end up comfortably getting past Memphis here because game one is oftentimes the biggest no, like uh, a misnomer when it comes to how a series is going to go. It's uh, a gauge. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, but I think people gauge it too far in either direction. Cause I don't always think that that's, game one is, is, you know, indicative of how the rest of the series is going to go. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, the other big news out of the NBA, and I said at the top, uh, Joel Embiid um, fractured orbital bone above his eye. Uh, I had this tweet about Pascal Siakam because I don't believe in saying really mean things about other players. It was a cheap shot. It was a dirty play. Uh, it was an unnecessary elbow in a game when your team's getting blown out by 35. That being said, uh, the Sixers were up 29 points when Joel Embiid got hurt. So maybe Doc Rivers don't have Joel Embiid in the game. Just a thought. Um, but, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I said this about, you know, Pascal Siakam. Like, I don't want anything bad to happen to him, but I want him to have, like, at least two years of just a bunch of minor inconveniences. Like, the check engine light is just always on in his car. You know, he can, <laughs> he can, o- he can only find one of his two socks, like, every other day. You know, like, just little things yeah. that are going to oh, kind of bother so him. always out of bags when he goes to the grocery store. You know? Yes, exactly. And like the bag right. always, he has to use the, the paper ones and the handles rip off, shit like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want anything really bad to happen to him because he's a nice guy and I love his story. Um, and also he's a human being and we're talking about sports. So why would you wish evil upon anybody? Um, right. But yeah, I mean, also kind of fuck Pascal Siakam for what he did because that was, I, I, I just seemed unnecessary, but also fuck Doc Rivers for having Joel and be in that game at that point. So 
the people's elbow. It's a shame because the way the Sixers looked in the second half against Toronto, um, I mean, I that was enough to make me think they actually had a good shot against Miami. Uh, and Bede's not playing in game one or two. So we need like a vintage James Harden, just do everything. And Tyrese Maxey have a fucking night. Uh, and, and luckily for them, Miami, you know, their two best players, or at least two of their best three players are all banged up in, with injuries. It's just, it goes back to the rant I was going to do if the Sixers had lost um, to Toronto, which is just in Bede's luck, man. Embiid's luck is just as unfortunate for a superstar as exists. Um, and you yeah. can go all the way back from the same hinky stuff to the injury pre-process um, to everything, man. And, and for a dude who is as dominant and as fun to watch, the fact that there's a really high likelihood that in year, you know, almost 10 for him, that he's not going to get past the second round of the playoffs is just, it's a shame for the NBA because well, and- you don't know when that, you don't know when that cliff is coming. Yeah, and like the one time he was healthy in the postseason, the one time he was healthy in the postseason, they got swept out of the first round. <laughs> yeah, well, there was that. There was the Toronto the, the Toronto series with the Kawhi shot, and that was just game seven. Um, and then last year, his teammate was afraid to dunk a basketball, even though he's six foot ten. So, um, Embiid has just Embiid has had a tough stretch of luck, and um, and it's not it's not dissimilar to AI. You know, AI was so good. Um, now, AI was a lot more difficult to play with uh, than I think Embiid is. Embiid, I think, gets it a little bit more. But if they can steal one of two in Miami and then we get Embiid back for game three, I'm not going to rule it out. But uh, as a fan, I- I've kind of already accepted the fate, which uh, which is a shame coming off the high of that 35-point win against yeah. Tor- Toronto because you're thinking, man, they showed out in Toronto in game six when everyone else was talking about you're going to be the first team to blow a 3-0 series in, in NBA history. And then yeah. you win by 35 <laughs> and then, you know, one of the best That's the players other in the worst hurt, and that part sucks. of it too. Not, not only the fact that he shouldn't have been in that game, but the Sixers shouldn't have been at that point in the series. They should have yes. wrapped that shit up a long time ago. That's a great point, Scott. Cause I had that same thought driving back down from Philly yesterday, which was like, not only does it suck because yeah, Embiid Embiid shouldn't have even been in that spot literally in the game, but the team as a whole shouldn't have been in that spot in the series. Um, yeah. And random, Random thought that popped in my head when you said this, by the way. Um, you know, everyone talks about all-time teams from their whatever. And obviously the Sixers, if you don't know, like I have one of the best historical franchises out there in terms of great players worthy and all these other, you know, Dr. Yeah. J. But I would love to see AI and Embiid together on the floor. Like th- just hmm. this big guy who's absolutely athletic. I don't know if it would fit together. It would be so damn fun no. to also watch. AI AI super, it would AI be super interesting. Yeah. And Embiid like yelling at him and be just like going after him. And then he'd be like, screw you, man. Like he's got an attitude too. It would have been so I'll tell you what, it would have, it would be as entertaining as, as hell. It would be yes, crazy that's... entertaining. <laughs> yes. um, and sometimes it would look unbelievable. Uh, I, but I also think it would be a little bit like Kobe and Shaq. You know, because Kobe and Shaq were both that way in L.A. and A.I. and they wanted to kill each other by the end of it. And I think yeah. Embiid and A.I. probably would be similar. But I think Embiid, well, you know, given sir, I mean, I, peak Embiid with peak A.I. Um, would be fascinating. Wise, unbelievable. But the question wouldn't have come from a reporter to A.I. It would have been Embiid asking why he wasn't at practice. And <laughs> yeah, I would have said why we're talking about practice, man. And the funny thing is, is six foot AI would go after seven foot three oh, Embiid, and they'd be he'd be sitting there with his face up, you know, what's up, big man? You know, the trash talking would be delightful. <laughs> um, last thing I want to say here, I didn't tell you guys about this, but I did open up the pod with it last week, and um, 
Uh, JMU has been going through a tough time uh, over the last week or so, week and a half after um, the passing of one of the softball players, Lauren Burnett, um, committed suicide. Uh, it's been a really mm-hmm. tough time for JMU Nation um, as a whole. Uh, they announced today that they're canceling the rest of their season. Um, and so I just wanted to last minute just throw a shout out. Um, I know I said this again to open up the pod on Friday, but um, it doesn't have to be a school or a tie or anything. Um, you guys obviously have no real ties to JMU other than me, right? Um, and and it, it, this is just a human thing. Um, and so just thoughts and prayers to everybody. Uh, I can't imagine what that team's going through after the high of last season, going all the way to the yeah. Women's College World Series um, to now one of the starting players who was there at, at the plate during that amazing play, you know, with Odyssey Alexander, but also this is their sister and, and softball is a very tight knit group of people. So um, just wanted to throw that out and to mention that again, um, hug your people, love your people um, and, uh, and send your thoughts and, and best wishes to, to that group of young women who, uh, who are going through some shit right now. Um, and I commend JMU for saying softball doesn't matter softball right now is not important what's important is that our our people have the support that they need so um thoughts and prayers and our love to to everyone involved with the dukes um and down to harrisonburg and um yeah just love your people i love both of you guys you're the best um and i love all of our listeners and everyone else who's out here so um thank you all for listening uh awesome pod today amazing congrats, story grant. <laughs> congrats grant what an unbelievable story for grant calcaterra and for you Vito, to have that moment with uh with close family friends and uh it's it's playoff basketball time man so um the pod i'm hoping to have one of my guys come on here uh on thursday or on friday's pod to talk a little bit more nfl draft recap we'll get a little bit more in the nitty-gritty and hopefully all three of us can be on for that interview with my buddy chris plank but uh we'll see still working out some details if not We will have another pod ready for you on Friday. So for the boys, I'm Jeff. We love you. We thank you. And we'll talk to you guys then. Take it easy, everybody.